Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cartoncast. My name is Ben. And my name is Zane. And this is the podcast where we review old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. And today we are talking about, in one of our ever popular segments, our bootleg segments, we are talking about a strange, sad little lizard. We are <laughs> discussing the movie Rango. Yes. From 2011. Um, and this was actually uh, suggested to us by a friend of ours. Thanks, uh, shout out to James for suggesting us to check out uh, Rango. You may remember him from the Pirates of Darkwater episode, uh, which, you know, seems like James likes westerns. <laughs> <laughs> the, high, the high adventures sort of genre. Put in, put in a couple of um, pieces of evidence together, string, and, string together and, a couple and, facts. And this one is a western, but it's also, uh, it does a fair bit of genre jumping and fourth wall breaking. Um, we did have to rearrange the schedule a bit, so the other stuff we had planned will be coming out, uh, soon. I don't know if you but... heard about this quarantine pandemic thing. It's, it's causing a couple issues, shall we say. <laughs> um, it may be that we have to hiatus at some point for a brief moment. You know, our personal lives are, just because they're in one place doesn't necessarily mean that they are super stable, and we may have to rearrange stuff, but we're not going anywhere. Just hang in with us. Things are weird, and things are weird in Rango, which came out in 2011. Uh, it was produced by Paramount, Nickelodeon, GK Films, and Blind Wink Productions, which is the studio of Gore Verbinski, who directed it, as well as other noted Depp film, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, um, we've got a lot to say about that. I want to point <coughs> out that um, this uh, was, you know, this was, it, it, it is rare in this era, or, or a decade ago, to be able to compete with Pixar and Disney, and this was the first Academy Award for Best Animated Feature that didn't go to them since 2006, which uh, went to Happy Feet. Yeah, and this was the last one that Disney Pixar didn't get until uh, Enter the Spider-Verse in 2018. Um, then again, yeah. the Disney Pixar movie in 2011 was Cars 2. <laughs> it was a bit of a, a, bit of a slump. <laughs> but another thing that helped Rango over the edge was the fact that this is the first fully animated movie produced by Industrial Light and Magic, the Star Wars people. Yeah, and and they made an interesting decision that I just love to death. Which um, was the the animation of this is entirely two D. Oh, I didn't realize. That's this is the, surprising. This, this yeah, it's the zeitgeist where three D is sort of your gimmick tag to get people to the theater. Um, and as any anime lover of recent <laughs> a recent uh, Berserk twenty sixteen will tell you. You know, three three D doesn't necessarily give you what you want. You know, with CGI, uh, it is. Like any new console generation, there is that sort of awkward teenage years, and I think in the era of 2011, 3D definitely fit that mold, and there there is, you know, going with the console metaphor, you go to any late game on a console's life cycle, they have all the tricks. <laughs> so Super Nintendo, you've got Yoshi's Island and Chrono Trigger and the like, they knew exactly what they were doing, and they could push those systems to the limit. That's kind of what I think happened with this, and yeah. it it doesn't come off as cheap or like limited in any capacity due to be, owing to being two D, which I think is noteworthy, if not quite enough to get me on board immediately. Like I said, I didn't even realize that this was two D. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't scream it. it. Yeah, honestly, like we'll we'll talk a little bit about how it looks because it looks like nothing else. It feels live action, but in somebody else's universe. It, it does in a in a strange way. Like, I want to like, bring to like claymation, <laughs> but like if people were made out of clay. 
it's it's got a very unsettling aesthetic which i want to pick <clears throat> apart in a little bit but mm-hmm. uh first of all uh a couple notes about the animation uh so in a discussion of contemporary animation it, gore verbinski stated in december of 2011 that the and i'm going to just quote here there are shackles with the budgets and the profit margins. You want to compete with what they're doing at Pixar and DreamWorks. There's a price tag with that just in terms of achieving that quality level. What happened to, what happened to the Ralph Bakshis of the world? Good question. Uh, we're all <laughs> sitting here talking about family entertainment. Does animation have to be family entertainment? I think at that cost, yes. <laughs> uh, there's a bullseye that you have to hit, but when you miss it by a little bit and you do something interesting, the bullseye is going to move. Audiences want something new. They can't just... They just can't articulate what. So there's a lot in that, but it's an interesting thing. If you're trying to do animation and you want to sell it to a wide enough market, and, you know, kids are chiefly that animation market, yes, it does have to hit certain quality thresholds. Right. But that opens in, you know, the indie darlings that can kind of make their way and are continuing to, you know, make their way in smaller ways um, going forward. So yeah, if, if you have competency and polish, you can get away with a little bit outside the normal boundaries. And that's how you move that uh, bullseye, as he says. Yeah. And I, I'm not convinced that Rango really does that. I thought that it it's, was mostly a artistic choice and not a, a weird... technical limitation that gives it its spin. Yeah, it's definitely like... There's a lot of intentionality. The techniques, I don't think, matter as much. It, it's just a weird movie because despite its success, it left the public consciousness pretty quickly. Like, nobody really remembers this. I don't I don't remember it kind of at all, but we should talk about its success. Uh, it, you know, hit pretty good at the box office. It didn't double its budget, but it did well enough to get Paramount its own animation department created. Hmm. So that's kind of in, you know, a mark of quality all its own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I I honestly don't remember it coming out at all. It's it's apparently well remembered, um, you know, but but not many people knew about it. I didn't know about it. Yeah, I think, you know, if uh, if if parents are looking for movies to watch with their kids, they'll go to Pixar, they'll go to Disney and then they see, oh, here's a movie Looks a little fun and interesting. Johnny Depp. Hmm. I don't, hmm. <laughs> Are we not what I think of as the family-friendly choice, right? Yeah. It, it, is, it is not the Disney style of family-friendly where all the edges are sanded off. There is smoking in this. Somebody drowns. Like, there's there's some grit to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I true think grit. That, <laughs> yeah, but as you say... In order to do a Western aesthetic, you have to have some grit. And the point of comparison I kept coming back to over and over was... B-movie. Five Goes West. Oh, correct. <laughs> you know, there is a lot in common there. That it's, you know, treating the Western as we know it to be treated. The genre of a Western, as we have stated before, we've dealt with it in many different things. Cowboys of Mumesa, Brave Star. Things that a Western is codified by are the two pieces of exploring the unknown the freedom of it and the danger of it Mm -hmm. and that danger is a really important piece and you get that here and you get that in five goes west so as a western yes we want that danger as a successful animated movie maybe it's a little too gritty for 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 kid audiences 
Mm-hmm. I mean, not not for kid audiences, but for parents thinking about what their kids should watch. Well, even for kid audiences, because part of the grittiness comes within the character models, which the town is named Dirt. It's really drab. That's part of the aesthetic. And all of the characters are animals and not like family not friendly dogs and cats. Like We're, we got, oh, we no got some Bambies. possums. We got some rattlesnakes. Just lizards as far as the eye can see. These are kind of gross animals and they are all dusty and and tired and it, it contrasts the characters in this with the characters of Monsters Inc. Mm-hmm. Okay? Big round like, shapes, a lot of fur. They are literal monsters. <laughs> and the characters in Rango are far harder to look at. Mm-hmm. It it is a harshness which which fits with the genre, but maybe turns some audiences off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, even Five Goes West was was easier to look at. Yeah, it was much more uh, bright and happy. Mm-hmm. Um, they do try to keep this in the sepia tone sort of range. Um, yeah. You know, our main character they picked a chameleon. Not, I kept expecting like camouflage to come up as like a physical thing that needed to happen rather than just a theme a metaphor. Of, of yeah, a meta- weird, right? <laughs> but chameleons are not the most charismatic and attractive lizards. I think we can all agree. The eyes. Though. Those eyes, yeah, big I, round eyes. I fell in usually love cute. with those <laughs> eyes because they were so weird to look at, and we're looking at one a lot. just bigger than the other, which is always a sign of instability in animation. It's it's just it's hard to articulate how much I love all of the artistic choices that made this look ugly. And the central like conflict of the movie is about a lack of water um, devastating this this mid this western town. And that's something that comes through when you have uh, this emphasis on, like, dustiness and brownness and just everything's kind of caked on and sweaty. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, I, so I, I think that I was a wise choice. They, 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 I think environmentally, like, uh, atmospherically, they nailed it with mm-hmm. this movie. It yep. just, I don't know how well that atmosphere actually sells to the audience that they're peddling it to. And it may, it may contribute somewhat to its more modest success than they are, were hoping for. And, and why it is not remembered long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, which isn't to say that it didn't succeed on several metrics. I just, you know, I think that there is a, there is a cost to adhering so hard to a Western aesthetic with this audience. Because it requires you to know a few things. It does. And like a lot of the movie is kind of marketed to people who understand the cinema history behind Westerns. And just like knowledge of the West, like that area and the environment, like some of the turns at the end, like, oh, it kind of helps to know that L.A. and Las Vegas are affronts to God. uh, Just living in the middle of the desert, having water pumped in. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, I have a lot to say about the class commentary there, but uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> let me let, let, let's keep moving a little bit. Um, sure. Talk about the music real quick. Hans Zimmer doing Hans Zimmer shit. Stra- straight up Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean reference again. I like, heard they, they had there was one snippet that like yeah. and then it <laughs> yep. just stopped and went somewhere else. I'm like, you're messing with me. You're doing this on purpose. It's absolutely on purpose. They do Flight of the Valkyries and then <laughs> throw it into something else. Um. Hans Zimmer does a respectable mariachi 
you know, Western romp kind of soundtrack. I did not think he had other modes. He was simultaneously writing for the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie at the time, so I think he was trying to stretch. I think, yeah, I think he was just sick of Pirates of the Caribbean, honestly. <laughs> By the fourth movie, I think we all were. Yeah, like, and even even as it is, this has too much Pirates of the Caribbean in it with, like, weird action sequences that don't make sense. Direct visual references. Yeah, but uh, um, I like the mariachi music. I like all the Western little little tags in the in the soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the dueling banjos kind of thing is is more Southern than Western, but that's okay. Yeah, this is a this is a, a soundtrack and a score where clearly they knew exactly what they were doing, and anytime they deviated, it was for a reason. Uh, a little bit less. Well, uh, uh, something else that is is notable is that uh, the, the sound effects to evoke the Western feel are pretty good. I mm-hmm. honestly could have done with more of them. Yeah, like the woo. Not not really the good, bad, and the ugly tag thing, but more just like you know spurs clacketing and and saloon doors uh, squeaking that kind of thing. Yeah, they do the one design. really good saloon sequence that the sound design absolutely absolutely shines in. But the rest of the time, the movie is. That's the other problem I have with this movie is that it's just it's a little busy. It's it's inconsistent. I thought the first third they really nailed it. Oh, like yeah. They were killing it with, like, introducing new things, the movement, the pacing, all great. And then the second, third kind of felt a little muddled and then even a little rushed at the end. I, I think that the end is fine. I think that the beginning is great. And I think that the middle is totally misguided. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you when we get to that point exactly what is going on. And mm-hmm. ma- maybe you can help set some of my, my pains to rest. Sure. But I, I could have used more in the way of, 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 of sound design to kind of let the atmosphere speak for itself. But there's a lot of characters. And for a Western, which is supposed to feel kind of lonely, it's a little busy at times. And the, the convoluted nature of some of the plot doesn't really help with that. Yeah, there's there's a there's a time when, uh, oh, you know, we got to go off on this mission and I'm going to form a little posse and a militia. And he's like, I need 12 guys. Like, yeah, that's can, too many. <laughs> can we maybe have three? Have you ever tried to rally a and d crew before? Honestly, <laughs> four is the magic number. Um, the other issue in the sort of soggy middle of this movie is that, um, you know, like we said in the first bit, they're nailing this like genre homage slash parody slash fourth wall thing uh we've seen this before it's a tough line to to tread um they do it great early on and then it just sort of it sort of sags you really need to tighten that up i i thought they did really well with the homage part of it early on and then by the end of it it felt more making fun of it than appreciating it for its source material it was weird because, like, with the stuff at the end, which we'll, we'll get to, it felt simultaneously Oscar baity as well as, like, a huge, like, middle finger to normal Hollywood conventions. It, it In, just felt un, unfocused. Yeah, m- maybe. I'm not really sure how I feel about it. Let, let's wait until we get there and, and we can wrap it up when we, when we sure. do. Um, before we get into characters, uh, I think something... That really defines the main... Well, I mean, like, let's talk about the characters, and I want to tie in what I consider the big theme of this movie. Sure. Which is, is going to be a useful point to keep coming back to. So, right. start off with Rango. Johnny yeah. Depp, uh, whom we have previously dealt with in Corpse Bride, which he gave a fine performance, but didn't really stand out in it that much. His character was uh, of that sort of bland, dull world, and here he is directly contrasted with it. 
Yes, absolutely. He's wearing a like a Hawaiian shirt or something. Yeah, yeah. So it's John- really ridiculous. <laughs> Johnny Depp is uh, somewhat from another dimension, right? Like I consistently confuse him with Robert Downey Jr. That's and odd. I, I well, I think it's just like they they were in movies at, around the same era where I was watching those kinds of movies, like the mm-hmm. big blockbuster kind of <laughs> superhero slash adventure shit. And also, they both have histories with like. Uh, alcohol and drug abuse which isn't yeah. you know I'm, I'm not knocking him for it but it's just like a couple lines of comparison that i used to draw i don't know that many actors so yeah. knowing two that have vaguely similar trajectories makes makes them i just get confused and he he was drawing on some of his other roles for this you know he did a fear and loathing in las vegas fear and loathing in las vegas fear and loathing in lost wages Lost Wages. Um, so he was drawing on his sort of like uh, Hunter S. Thompson character there, uh, as well as the Jack Sparrow. And like, they let him kind of be big and be hammy and go off in his own mind. I mean, during even though all of this is animated, when they were filming, the actors wore costumes and they did the actual acting and they like yeah. took from those facial expressions to do this. And it really stands out for Rango specifically. I think Rango works. As a character, I think he works. Uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Depp. We've got a question later um, in our wrap-up from James where uh, he, he, he has other opinions on him. But I think he just works fine. Um, w- one of the things that he does is I feel like he's kind of inhabiting... I, I think that he's really putting his identity in this character of Rango. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got a, a point of comparison for that. So um, on... In uh, 2011 of October, uh, on an episode of Larry King Live, when he was asked about his faith, uh, Johnny Depp said, yes, I, I have faith in my kids. I have faith, you know, that as as long as you keep moving forward, just keep walking forward, things will be all right. Um, and, and that quote, I think, really ties this character to the central theme of the movie, which is the nature of hope and faith. Mm-hmm. in something that is insubstantial right and and that by believing as, we make it so and that as sort of a uh motivation for a struggling actor you know which the character of rango starts out in a scene trying to be a big shot actor yeah like the, you know we'll, we'll get to it but that is where he starts out i think that he's really putting a lot of identity in this guy of i want to make it big i know i'm not there yet i'm gonna fake it yeah Yeah, until i get there and that's that's sort of an ethos of the west as well because the idea of going out west and giving up everything uh either back then or today um in these places that have nothing for you you have to build it yourself yeah yeah so so yeah faith in the insubstantial faith that tomorrow will bring opportunity you Mm -hmm. know uh and, and that that's a huge theme in this movie that we'll that we'll talk about uh next up uh, the character of Beans? Yeah. So this is the main romantic interest played by uh, Isla Fisher, okay. uh, whom I know as the crazy girl from Wedding Crashers. Oh, uh, okay. And that's about it. Yeah, I, I thought she did a good job doing this sort of like, uh, she reminded me of a girl in, in True Grit, the sort of a bit proper, but also extremely like strong-minded and strong-willed. She reminds me of the girl who lives in the trailer park in Ozark. <laughs> yes. I think it's just the accent <laughs> in, in all honesty I like her performance but I don't like this character very much I thought the character was fine until like the last third what uh so she just got, gets damseled 
Well, I mean, you know, that's always going to happen. But I mean, like, and that's part of the Western trope, which I can forgive. But what exactly is the point of her backstory and this very odd character trait that she has, wherein if anyone reminds her of the fact that her father walked out on her, she goes into a catatonic state for 10 seconds. It seems like this, like, mental trauma is played for laughs, which is a little bit weird. No, I thought that was just like a lizard like thing like they were playing into the fact that she's a lizard uh it didn't really come up in an important way ever i i didn't understand why it was there at all it didn't make much sense uh, the the best i can think of is that it's a metaphor that ties her hope that reality is not what she perceives it to be she she hopes that her dad didn't actually abandon her and that makes her unable to move on or in this case unable to move at all that's the best i could do <laughs> i i think Probably the way to analyze her is to put her in opposition to Rango. Rango as this person who is insubstantial and looking forward, and Beans as this person who is tied to her land and looking toward the past. Tied to her past. Yeah, I I can totally see that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And she did a good job, but but I agree. There wasn't quite enough there. Like, she was clearly capable and competent, but they never really needed her to be that much. No, not really. She she was just there to to, to give, give Rango some romance, I guess. Um, couple other characters. I don't know how much we need to talk about them. It's weird because we get like a series of antagonists. There's a and lot none of them of, stays very long. The only one that I feel necessary to point out is the mayor. Yes, yeah. the turtle of the town of dirt, uh, voiced by Ned Beatty, whom I only saw as like a extra in Roseanne as one he, of the Connor he, family. He was the deliverance guy. Was he the deliverance guy, Mister Deliverance himself? He, he was the guy who got deliveranced. He, he he was delivered. He was straight up UPS. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, well, he got sent. He got his package sent to him. Yeah, he did. Um, oh, I'm God. not actually sure if you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. It sounded like a porno line. All right, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. You can look that up later. <laughs> okay. Uh, in any case, um, he fulfills an, an important role. He is the chief antagonist, and he is an antagonist that is a Western trope. Yes. Corrupt mayor we've dealt with this in cowboys of mumesa where the sheriff embodies the spirit of the law and the mayor embodies the letter of the law but the letter of the law is inherently corrupt as every story for the past 30 years has told me yeah yeah and he's got uh, i like his contrast with rango in that um he is also looking toward the future but he's also saying you have to get rid of the past and look after yourself yep yep uh he he plays with the theme of you know belief in the insubstantial in an interesting way Mm -hmm. because he's all about using that belief in in something that doesn't exist as a means of controlling the town he He finds it valuable in other people he doesn't he exploits uh, it himself he exploits it in order to get you know to to get the upper hand Sure. And that is an important piece of uh, character that we're going to contrast with Rango because he kind of does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we'll we'll save that for a little later on. Um, I'm ready to go into the plot if you are. Let's do it. From out of the dust came a man true and bold, champion of the Fandango. By night he drank whiskey, by day townspeople knew him and rango 
Um, so the, there's a little bit of a framing device, which is that there is a mariachi band of owls um, who are turning this story into a heroic folk song um, where they say, you know, there's this, there's this brave hero and he's going to die in this story. I kind of like the framing device. I wish that the exit strategy on this one was not what, what it turned out to be. Like the way the way that articulates in the finale is part of that. Uh, we're no longer giving an homage to Western. We're blowing at a raspberry. This is the trouble with parody and with uh, you know send ups in general, which is that if you have built something up in, for the entire movie to be played straight, and then you subvert it at the end, it's not funny, and we're not happy about it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you it's kind very of anticlimactic. It's anticlimactic in a way that makes you feel like the joke was played on on the, you. on the viewer. Yeah, which doesn't sure. work for me. But other than that, I like the framing device. I like constantly hearing mariachi music. The mm-hmm. owls are they're very sort charming. Of, they're very charming. Owls are charming. Uh, <laughs> you know they, that can't be debated. Just think about what uh, what Furby had before it got corrupted in in the in the Furby zone. But I, I like the. I like that they are sort of intersecting with the story haphazardly. Like, it, it's not clear to what degree they actually exist in Rango's world. Sure, sure. But, uh, you know, it's. I like the framing device. It, it feels very Don Quixote to me. Yeah, we're telling the story about this man in his own time, and he's not sure whether or not we're going to do a good job on it. I, I think it's actually very Don Quixote because the. Uh, what they're going for is a epic, like a, a tale of epic proportions. And what we are looking at is Rango <laughs> is putting on a little stage play with these plastic models, and he's just being Johnny Depp a lot. Yeah, oh yeah. And this is very charming. You know, we we, we don't get much time to get used to the art style. Um, so when he does this little, like, play within a play, directing himself in different genres, making himself the protagonist he knows he can be, I can be anyone I want to. You know, it's a pretty but, straightforward read for a chameleon character. Oh, absolutely. Or or for an actor character. But it, it's, I think it's, they're, they're making him very, very silly. And yes. combined with the Quixotic, like, that, that's why I feel like it's Don Quixote, is because the story is epic. The substance of this is very, very silly. <laughs> Yeah, and the, the in the Don Quixote nature, where you're building up this grand hero, and then you see the guy, and you kind of look around like this this guy. You, yeah, yeah. Sure? What, what, where was I led astray? <laughs> uh, where are the he, cameras? And he has this epiphany. Aha! For this to be a good show, the hero needs conflict. And then you know. <laughs> yeah, I I want to ask you how you feel about this opening arc for our character. It kind of threw me for a loop. It wasn't what I was expecting. Right, because like in Toy Story. You know, we we got an animated thing that, at first glance, he has a home. He's got a place, right? Mm-hmm. And and yes, he's going to go out and and survive and thrive and go into conflict and everything. But we start very tied down. His his owner's name is Andy. He's got this community. He's got cares and wants, and we we know where he exists. I don't know a damn thing about Rango. He's no one. He's I a nobody. He's he's a, a lizard with no name. I think that's the point, and I think yes. that's a very intentional thing that they did 
But what a weird way to start a like a well, heroic character. Well, if this is the Western archetype and you have the martial character coming in to solve things, you have to start with how shitty the town is. But you can't do that because that's too serious and, and it would get our tone off on the wrong foot. So this, by having the normal hero's journey and just kind of cutting off the first three points of it, it kind of it kind of sets us up both on, uh, in terms of understanding what the tone's going to be and what the genre is going to be. I love it. I'm for kinda the th- here for it. I, I love it for the theme. Like the theme of a belief in the unsubstantial and we have to have a character who is nobody so that he can kind of become this somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, if you you know, if you saw any of the trailer or the ad copy for this, you know, oh he's he's in the wild west, he's in the desert. Uh no, he's in a terrarium in the back of a car and it swerves and sends him flying. So he's really you know, he doesn't get a choice in this adventure. He is forced out into survival within two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredibly quick. It tells us nothing about him, and I I didn't get my feet yet. You know, I'm still like, where does the movie actually take place? Yeah. Because in any other Disney movie, or like any other animated movie, you would set up his home life for like five to ten minutes, mm-hmm. and then tragic twist of fate, Hans Zimmer music. He would get thrown out the side of the van and he would panic because now everything is different. No. We, he's an we, empty vessel. <laughs> yeah, he just, now we're in a desert, you know? Like It, I, it I, comes out of nowhere. And this is where it's they really show off the animation brave. as well. It's a really um, brave direction choice to just oh, give yeah. us so little to grapple with right off the bat. But they visually tell us, and, and I love this bit of animation, They they, they tell us, all right, things are bad right away. The way he like slides on this bit of glass and comes to a stop in the middle of the road and then like the umbrella for his little fruity drink falls and lands on the rim and then falls outside the drink like, oh man, I get it. This guy's not going to be able to catch a break at all. Yeah, yeah. It's and that, that's all these the little bits. Comedy. That, that's the comedy of the first 10 or 15 minutes is is the fish out of water-ness. Of the, the drama is large. The comedy is small. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I honestly did not like Rango that much at the outset here when he was the nobody. Like, it's it's Johnny Depp ham energy, but because I didn't know what it was, it didn't contrast with anything at the beginning. It was just him in front of a green screen doing an ad lib to, like, sell himself for, a, like, a part in a movie. He was just, like, doing an audition. It was just, I didn't get much out of it. Yeah, it... I I didn't mind it so much. I thought like it was it took me a little bit to get used to the animation style. Um yeah. but it it kept me on my toes and I don't think I didn't think that was a bad thing. I was I honestly part- just enjoying watching all the little cool like visual gags. I think part of it's also bias on my part because I'm used to Captain Jack Sparrow and this is a very high energy version of that. <clears throat> mhm. And uh, I just wasn't really prepared to see Johnny Depp do that high of an energy thing. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a uh, famous actor gets to ham it up movie. Yeah, it does feel that way. It's it's his movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he runs into the mentor figure of the hero's journey, which is uh, this roadkilled armadillo. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the uh, if if Brave Star has the shaman, you know, um, Fievel has Wiley Burp, you know, it's. It's uh, it's it's the mentor, you know, spiritual guidance kind of kind of figure. Yeah, where where he like in the vaguest possible way foreshadows everything that's going to happen. Too vague for you to really care. Oh, oh, it's on purpose. It's it's on purpose as a as like I think it's meant as a gag, and I think it's meant as a 
I think it's more of that loving homage elbow in the ribs kind of thing to to westerns, mm-hmm. where like everything is intentionally super metaphorical and and dreamy weemy, and they play um, up the juxtaposition because he's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm on a quest to get to the other side, and Depp's like, up the road right over there, like you just want to <laughs> you want to walk, yeah, kind of like undercutting <laughs> the mysticism of it all. Like the, something sure. that this this movie does pretty well is they undercut the mysticism that they're selling. Mm-hmm. Because they kind of know it's ridiculous, which which is a little bit more of the scathing criticism of a Western. I liked it uh, in general. Uh, not not at all times. Like, it's, sometimes it's articulated better than others. But, you know, um, I, I like it when the armadillo does it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when uh, he's like, uh, when, when, when Johnny Depp is like, why didn't you just wait until there were no cars? And the armadillo is like, it's not so easy as it looks. What? It's a metaphor. <laughs> just, just tells him. <laughs> just like I was trying to, you know, speak in in this purple prose, and just like, no, it's a metaphor. Just, yeah. just telling you straight. Do you? I don't know how much you've watched Avatar: The Last Airbender, if you remember it very well. Uh, vaguely. There, there's a character in it, Guru Patik. He's uh, the person that Avatar gets his Avatar training from, and he like, you know, starts off as kind of this wise, mystical elder person that has all the answers. Um, and he's like, drink this, and then you will know. And Aang drinks, and he's like, this tastes like onions and banana juice. And and uh, and the Guru Patik is like, that's because it is onions and banana juice. It's just <laughs> that's the sort of undermining your own mystic qualities that I yeah. really like watching. I really For like sure. seeing in this. Um, yeah. So we have a, a couple of scenes. Um, you know, Roadkill tells him, you know, you got to walk into the desert right over there. Uh, to find <laughs> so water it's not a to real survive. town. So it's a real town, not a metaphor town. Go on, it's okay. <laughs> it's just, just so playful. Just got, we got plot to go to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go on. Yeah, on on your way, Johnny Depp. Get over there. <laughs> I, I think this is interesting though, because Rango does not, ha- and he's not even Rango yet. He has no name yet. Uh, Johnny Depp's lizard character has no idea where he is. He doesn't really believe that there's a town out there, but he has to believe that there's something out there, and that allows him to keep walking. Mm-hmm. So it already we're dealing with that belief in the insubstantial, that hope there is something over the horizon kind of thing. Yes. Uh, and then we get the second major theme, which is Johnny Depp is a coward. Who <laughs> is... <laughs> um, he, he, we get dangers of the desert. It's dry. There's hawks. Um, there's some really beautifully like beautifully animated scenes of like you know the hawk comes and swoops at him and he hides in a bottle and it cuts the bottle and he's like doing this rolling thing like uh, at this point in the movie it was either we have joke scenes and we have beautiful animation scenes and never the twain shall meet yeah i i kind of like the joke scenes for the most part because especially in this first third because uh they were quick well rango's just utter lack of chill makes him really enjoyable to watch now that I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. It And uh, it reminded me really strongly of the, a character from BoJack Horseman. You remember Lenny Turtletaub has a nephew oh, yeah. that he gets, like, the nepotism elemental that is, in that is like, placed in a high position of power even though the he can't guy. really do anything. And he just is constantly mincing and be like, ah, my pads got stuck to the copy paper. <laughs> and it, like, just doesn't know how to do anything and is just always flailing and, and ridiculous. Very charming. That's what I got from Rango for this first sure. third. He is out of his element, and he has too much energy for this environment, and it shows. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, He's got some good it, uh, dialogue with this uh, with this other uh, creature of this de- the desert, where they're like talking oh, back like, and forth. Uh, camouflage toad. Yeah, the camouflage toad. It's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm, tr- I'm trying to blend in. Go get your own spot. Uh, d- stop it! Stop distracting me. It's 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 harder than it looks. You know, like they're just kind of talking <laughs> back and forth, and some of the dialogue is pretty good here. Yeah, and I think that scene was mostly just, uh, you know, get in some jokes, prove that the hawk is dangerous, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. We get, a, we get a trippy dream sequence. I'm sure the animators had fun with it. Again, way too much foreshadowing to retain anything useful here. I don't remember the trippy dream sequence. There, you, That's too much foreshadowing. <laughs> um, but he gets a, he wakes up getting launched out of what we kind of are led to assume, like, is there like a sewage pipe here? There's some sort of water main? Uh, and he gets, uh, you know, uh, accosted by this lady lizard, uh, Beans, uh, with a shotgun, old West lady hoop dress. And she's like, oh, you're dumping water. We need that water. We don't take kindly to strangers. No, sure. You're not from around here. You know, which is like, okay, here are the cliches we're about to deal with. I got a really like, a- like Alabama twang from this uh from this accent apparently they only had 20 days or, or johnny depp only had 20 days to get the accent down um like, like I, I don't know if like they just chose random kind of rural dialects uh this one does not feel western this one feels very like i kept on thinking jenny from forrest gump in the very beginning of the movie like the, you can sit here if you want like the yeah. really long vowels with this character I mean, Southern and Western are not the most dissimilar accents, and the idea that, like, we're in a bit of a time thing, I it didn't bother me. Oh, it didn't bother me either. Like, I liked it, frankly. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I felt like it worked. It just was, uh, it just surprised me, I guess. But I, I like I like her coming, like, kind of meeting Rango in this way, and just, you know... He's just bleeding chill at an alarming rate. He's just got no chill when anyone from this town shows up. Yeah, and, you know, she's got daddy issues. She's got that freeze-in-place defensive reflex. It, it's easy to develop characters when they they have no subtlety. It's just it's a single personality trait and just... Like, it's loud. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's it. That's all it is. I, I was wondering, you know, she, she talks to him about the nature of survival, and he responds by talking about stage plays and musicals. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, this is where I started thinking about the class commentary, about, like, the differences in priorities between Los Angeles struggling artist types and blue-collar southern workers. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the the one that is, like, you know, no, I'm going to make it big out, out, uh, out in, out in San Francisco or whatever, and the, the, the other ones being just like, don't think about making it big, just put your nose to the grindstone and get through the day. I don't know if there was actual commentary in it of, like, the relative merits of both, but it was a pretty clear contrast. Yeah, I think they might have just played up the iconography of that just to make the fish out of water kind of stronger. That, that that also is fine. If that is what yeah. that is trying to signify, I think that works. But uh, they head into town, the ramshackle town of dirt. The times are tough, but the folks are tougher. Yeah, it it's pretty good. I, I don't mind it. I like how Rango, when he shows up, immediately tries to assimilate himself. Well, yeah, the old Toad was like, yeah, you got you to gotta try to blend in. You got to yeah, hide yeah, yourself. Exactly. And he's so bad at blending in when he was getting attacked by the eagle that he just did a bunch of different camouflage that didn't work. And the first thing that he does when he gets to dirt is walk around these exaggerated cowboy-style walks and just tries a bunch of them on. Yeah. You know, he's this is like 
I feel like this is a uh, this is like a siren song. Like this is a, a huge defense of method acting <laughs> performance here. <laughs> like every time we see him in a situation that he doesn't understand, he just you know goes to devil goes another level deeper into the character. If if the real Johnny Depp hit a time warp, this is how he would get used to things. <laughs> There's a uh, there's a movie that it was in, that uh, Johnny Depp was going to be in. It was uh, a ter- Terry Gilliam was going to make a Man of La Mancha uh, re reskinning of uh, of that tale with a time traveled Johnny Depp from the future as an actor into the past as Sancho Panza. Amazing. Yeah, it, it unfortunately got lost in development hell. Um, and the there's a documentary about it called Lost in La Mancha about the, kind of the production and why it was kind of doomed to failure. They did eventually make it, but with a different cast. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think the idea of chucking Johnny Depp from his actor lifestyle and putting him into salt of the earth types, like like clearly several people came up with this idea <laughs> like this, <laughs> people want johnny depp to be off kilter and yeah, yeah. uh and and in unfamiliar they want to simple life him and i i don't know, know why that is so clear to people but it it works here mm. so uh you know this is a western so we're gonna head on into saloon. the saloon yeah i want to i want to i want to i want to talk a little bit about like the fact that this movie has really good comedic timing when it puts its mind to it oh yeah like uh so, so let me talk about the saloon sequence. The music cuts out immediately when he opens up the door, which is a Western trope. No music. Everybody is looking at this real weird weirdo. And he's got negative chill, you know, value. And he's entering the place. The audio of the squeaky fan is the only thing you hear as he sidles into the chair. This is such a good example of good comedic tension. Do you remember in Samurai Jack when uh, the samurai poked the bagpipes and they're just yeah. both staring at it and waiting as the bagpipe slowly wheeze, like in a sadder <laughs> and sadder tone. And then he just, yeah. the Scotsman just like, you've done it now. And and another example that came to mind, in Hey Arnold, there's an episode where Helga is like trying to get her diary back from Arnold's place and bursts out of his couch because she was like going through the vents and stuff. And she bursts out of the couch covered with dirt, no reason to be there. And it is in the middle of Arnold meeting with a bunch of his buddies about, like, Boy Scouts or something. Yeah, yeah, and just, yeah. Like, and she just, like, just slowly walks toward the door, maintaining eye contact the whole time, opens the door, and then walks out, and it's dead silent. Just, like, and make then, it too unexpected for anyone to, like, acknowledge it. But then the punchline comes in, and, like, Arnold's like, okay, so about those go-karts. <laughs> you know, like, just... <laughs> I can't deal with what just happened. Let's let's reset, you know, the hard reset. And that's what Rango does. He says something innocuous. I don't remember what it is. Well, you know, he asks, you know, oh, I'd like a glass of water from the saloon and like introdu- introducing us to the central conflict of not enough water in the town and also showing like, oh, this this city slicker who doesn't know the dangers and difficulties of the town. There, There is a little gag here I wanted to point out. Yep. When uh, Rango is walking into the saloon and all eyes are on him, it, it does that nice Western thing where we're seeing him through the with, with with something more Western happening in the foreground, like the person playing poker or whatever. Mm-hmm. The person who's playing poker puts down an ace and an eight. Now, this is half of a what is known as a dead man's hand. 
Um, and it's, I think it's, I might be adding the trivia on this wrong. I think it is named in poker because of a game that happened in a saloon a long time ago. Um, this is sort of like an urban legend or, or, or folk story or something. I don't know how true it is, but the, the story is that a guy had a pair of aces and a pair of eights and was shot dead. And, you know, the cards that he, he laid on the table as he lay dying actually won the hand. And so that's why <laughs> aces and eights is known as a dead man's hand. That's fun. And that's a so, nice little, like, clearly the people doing this knew their knew their stuff and put a lot of care and polish into it. Yeah, it, it surprises me. Like, I don't know why they felt the need to do that, but it, it was very cool to me as a person who likes <laughs> poker. So. Um, but yeah, he realizes that if he's going to survive here, he needs to play himself up. And he, uh, he starts bragging about the men he has killed and the terrors he's faced. And he puts on the accent that he's going to try and carry over uh, the rest of the show. Exactly. Where did you say you were from? Me? I'm from the west. Out there, beyond the horizon. Past the sunset. The far west. Yeah, that's right, hombres. Place I come from, we kill a man before breakfast just to work up an appetite. Then we salt him. Then we pepper him. Then we braise him in clarified butter. And then we eat him. You eat him? That's what I said! This is uh this is kind of I think the standout scene of the entire movie. You know, I don't think it ever quite reaches the heights of this scene again. Uh and it's great on a lot of levels. So let's break it down. Got a few extra aces in this deck, gents. Just the way I like it. So no, my Harrison's little rodent friend, I am not from around these parts. You might say I'm from everywhere there's trouble brewing and hell waiting to be raised. You might say I'm what hell's already raised up. Name's Rango. I picked up again when he starts finishing up his story, but if you've got stuff before that. Sure, sure. I, I want to go through the whole story because it, it there's a lot of things <laughs> that make it awesome. Yep. First off... Just a pure on a pure writing level, it's masterful because it's it's colorful, it's just shy of totally absurd, <laughs> and it's full of Western truisms that would make Foghorn Leghead like uh, Foghorn Leghorn weep. <laughs> Poor man, never did rescue that leg or that head. <laughs> I, I like to call it brown prose, if you will, as opposed I, to purple. I, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to come up with a new term for exactly that thing. So that's brown prose, and he's doing a great job of it. Two, the scene acts as an excellent motivator for the character because, as you said, he doesn't fit in. He doesn't know what he's supposed to be. The blending in uh, the blending in in the desert didn't work for him, and it's not easy. He adapts from merely playing a part with the the different skins, trying on like the different camouflage, to actually being a new person, which is emphasized by the line, "You can be anyone," which is what yeah. he says to himself. So he's actually he wants to believe into this myth that he's going to create he he's chosen a thing to believe in that's the third thing that's awesome about it because on a trope level this signifies the general flow of the movie which is that he's going to get way over his head he's going to make an idiot out of himself until he finally comes to terms with his real self and saves the day because of it it doesn't really happen here it's like it they do an interesting inversion on the whole you had the hero in you the whole time kind of thing what he's doing is he is becoming this new person. Does that actually matter? Does the distinction between choosing to be a new person and actually being that person matter? Does it matter that trying, like, faking it till you make it isn't really 
the same thing as just being that person? Does the hope in the insubstantial matter? Is is that enough? Is mm-hmm. it enough to hope that you are this new person? Right. Yeah. And and it uh, it it comes across well. Like you can see all these little aspects of the theming come together. Like it it's communicated very effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and like even the name that he that he gives himself is. Uh, he he reads the thing that says uh, Hecho and Durango or something like made yeah. in Durango, and he he covers up part of it like I'm Rango. Yeah, yeah it sounds great. <laughs> and he comes up, with, he's got that great uh, grizzly kind of voice, and just it's so ridiculous. The fourth part of this that's great is just classic Western one-upsmanship. Oh yeah, which is so good because they the scene is set with everyone being dismissive of him, and we've seen the shit kicked out of this guy's this guy for like the past twenty minutes, <laughs> leaking chill from every orifice, and he for the first time he's in control, and everybody loves him, so it's and, so much catharsis for our protagonist. And then it comes time to put that to the test. So he's finishing up this story of oh uh, you know I killed the seven. Jenkins brothers with one bullet and like all right (laughs) last one died of infection (laughs) yeah let's let's hear you put this together and it's like all right fine and that's actually the one bullet thing comes up many times um it's cute it's 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 cute it doesn't make any sense but it's cute well i i I saw it as kind of like this is the object that makes the myth real you know this is uh what is a good as, like as myth long as you as long as you got is, a single shot you can still win it all well there's that but there's also like on just a narrative level is you know you you don't have a king arthur without an excalibur you yeah know? yeah it, you don't have a um you don't have a hmm captain america you don't have there's a, many yeah, like it yeah you don't have <laughs> a captain america mine. without his shield right you yeah. know they, it, it's an iconic part of the myth that he has this thing with him and his part of the myth is a single bullet in the chamber Mm -hmm. and he's so he's making his own myth and later on we will see that that insubstantial hope in a myth that doesn't exist is still enough sure um so he's finishing up this story and uh there's some landowners who barge in while roughing up an old man who's behind on the mortgage oh how am i gonna pay for the farm uh i was kind of impressed with the way they animated like beating someone up into a building like, like <laughs> on a physical this. level <laughs> um so this is bad bill uh first of our many uh like minor antagonists like the second in, in command uh, villain yeah the dragon the dragon uh, and he sees rango at the bar and he's like i'm gonna size you up challenge you um rango accidentally sets him on fire like we can see that when push comes to shove this insubstantial hope uh, falls apart pretty quickly, and he kind of just has to keep trying. Yeah, this is pretty funny, because, like, it does a really fun comedy of misunderstandings with Rango's failed bravado, where everything he does in this and the next scene is to act as a coward, but everybody lauds him as as a extreme badass for it. Perception as reality, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you watched uh, the second season of One Punch Man. A little bit. Not a whole lot. There's a character known as King, who yeah. is described as like the strongest person in the world and he's just a regular person but everything that he's done that he does is interpreted not as cowardice but as like a feat of strength sure like his heart beats really fast when there's uh people coming in to like you know mess with him and like people say it's like oh it's the king engine he's powering up but he's just like (laughs) honestly like scared out of his mind right there's a point at which like 
the samurai character invites him to come up and, you know, slice this thing in half. And if, if you can do it better than me, then I'll acknowledge your strength. And he goes up there and recognizes that he doesn't know how to use a sword. And he just walks away. And the samurai's like, did you see that? He moved so quickly that I couldn't even see him. And he sliced it so thinly that the molecular bonds weren't even <laughs> severed. <laughs> like, just like the ridiculous lengths that they go to to, you know, explain away... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's part of the theme, too, is that if you have hope in something insubstantial, you can be very easily taken advantage of. Yep. Like, the mayor takes advantage of the town, but, like, they want to believe in a sheriff. Yeah, you're, you're only as good as your gumption, and so when he starts to lose confidence, uh, you know, the issue comes up. Uh, I love this little, like, the tightness of this sequence where... You know, he sets the guy on fire with his own cigar and tries to beat it out, but he's just like hitting the guy at this point. Yeah, like like slapping him in the face, like a do. Like uh, again, every bit of this scene can be viewed through the spectrum of oh man, Rango's really giving him the business. <laughs> and then Bad Bill like just sets a pistol on the counter, looks at him like okay, it's a duel time. And other movies would probably be like oh he's gonna try and de-escalate or oh we're gonna set the time for at dawn and get steam sweat. No. Right to the duel. <laughs> yeah, and he... Smash he even, cut to the duel. <laughs> but he, he's taken his method acting to heart. He tries to, like, still embody... Like, he hasn't forgotten that he's a coward, but he's just hoping that it doesn't exist for a minute. Yeah, yeah. So so he keeps on... This has gotten me this far. All right, I'm going to give you fellas one last chance to reconsider, and then his pants drop, which is yeah. comedic timing, <laughs> like, yeah. off, off the charts here. Uh, um, and a, uh, a hawk shows up, the hawk from before, and it uh, scares off Bad Bill and his men. Everybody else is like, ooh, Rango's got them running scared. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's the Scooby-Doo comedy of, like, yeah, failing into success. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and it and it sells. They they play it well. Like, I, I knew it was coming, and I saw it, and I liked it anyway. No, it's, um, it's, a, funny, it's a funny bit. And, like, you know? even when... Oh shit! He sees the hawk. A chase scene starts. This is where, like in another movie, in a in a played straight western, this would be uh, uh, like a high action uh, chase scene. No, he runs Me like a coward. He runs like a coward. Toilet paper from his boot. The chase <laughs> scene is thirty seconds, and it's like musically very silly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's some Benny Hill stuff. <laughs> like they, they are playing this as the silly ridiculous comedy we know it to be at this and, moment and you pan over to what the villagers see and it looks like rango's chasing the bird yeah he's <laughs> got oh my god <laughs> there, there's a really fun moment where like he he goes into an outhouse and the bird like comes in and he's like about to attack him and then it zooms in on like the little tag that says vacant and it slides over to occupy <laughs> <laughs> like no thank you it's just oh it's perfect uh, so he finds but, a vending machine to hide in as, a, as some licorice. And again, he's blending in, but not well. No. Uh, the, an, another beautiful little touch here. The machine, like the coin return happens and there's a quarter in there with the eagle side facing us. And the hawk grins. He's like, oh, yeah, I got this. He it, just the puts hawk the coin presses in. the buttons. <laughs> he has knowledge of vending machines. There, there were points in this during the, the really well-polished sections where I'm like, this was written like an old Simpsons script that just got edit after edit. It's so good. It's and this, like, is, yeah. this is why I love the first third and why the second one really falls for me. I agree. It, it, it loses some of like the knowing how silly it is energy and starts to play things a little bit more serious, but not like, as Guys, focused. we got a bunch more tropes we have to throw in here, else how is anyone going to know this is a Western? Yeah, it's, it's pretty... 
It's not great. Like, I don't know what the middle act should... We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. But in any case, he fails into success hard enough that the eagle is killed. Yeah, and like... It doesn't we, really we matter have, how it It doesn't happens. matter how. We don't have to describe it. It's worth watching. <laughs> it's 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 worth watching. It's it's pretty fun. Um, and the town's like, have you ever seen anything like this? This <laughs> guy is a real deal hero. Just nonsense. Yeah, and so they they start believing in him, which is going to be an important facet of this theme. They send him um, to meet the mayor. Have him meet the mayor. This guy, friendly, vaguely menacing, very aware of his station in life. I, I, you, the the phrase that comes to mind when you see him is mint juleps. Mint julep. Do you remember the bear from Toy Story Three? Yes. Yeah, that's it's this guy, <laughs> the amicable villain. Yep. But but he's like a ponderous, like slow amicable villain. Like there's there's a class of villain that isn't that is lethargic. He's not physically threatening because we need our hero to be like the all American stud. And we he's don't have not, that, so this guy's got to be even lower. He's not like Captain Jacks, or not Captain Jack Sparrow, uh, Captain uh, uh, Long John Silver, where yeah. it's like he's threatening both charismatically and physically. This guy yeah, this, is just like very subtly menacing. This is an old man in a wheelchair who just happens to know everyone's secrets. Yeah, um, yeah. And he's like, okay, I'm going to make Rango the sheriff, uh, and that'll keep him busy. And maybe I can use him because he seems a little weak-willed. Like, he's the only one who sees through Rango's facade. Also, uh, yeah, and, and like, you know, there's a, there's a couple points of, you know, articulation with that. There's, there's a couple things to note about that, is that it's setting up the fact that he knows that this myth is being perpetuated about this guy. But the way that he uses myths is to exploit them to his benefit. Mm -hmm. So he sees this myth starting and he's like, I can use him. He doesn't believe in the myth like Rango is trying to do. And I think that's the main difference between the two. He's they're abusing both, the myth. They're both using the myth, but one of them is trying to live up to myth and one of them realizes that it's hollow. I, I am reminded of the Gold Rush era stories where, you know, people would uh, travel to California to make their riches. But the people who made the money were the people running the Selling businesses, the pickaxes, ca yeah. catering to them. And it's, it's that sort of uh, dichotomy. It, it reminded me of Music Man, honestly. You know, mm -hmm. the, 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 the sort of sucker born every minute idea behind people want to believe in something. It doesn't really matter if you sell it to them. Yeah. The point I, is that that belief exists and can be exploited. That famous line, people are ready to believe in good. And that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, the power immediately goes to Rango's head about being the sheriff. Yeah, he's starting to buy into his own hype, which, as we'll see, can be kind of dangerous. And, um, um, you know, we see Beans as, like, the clear-headed person who's like, guys, listen, the mayor's clearly up to something. Yeah, I think they actually go a little far with this. You know, mm -hmm. um, the the whole... Uh, so so the, the what it, what actually happens during the meeting is that the, the mayor does some chuckling and says, you control the water and you control everything. Um, that's enough. You can stop there. Mm-hmm movie you don't need to tell me anything else she's like oh he's up to something related to the water dumping but it well let me get through the scene because it ends with him sending rango on his way and then the door closes and we see the mayor in cahoots with the bad guy from earlier yeah yeah i think that's so extraneous that uh that it kind of made me stumble over that point because 
it's very clear that he's the villain from that point going on. Like, I yes. don't think that there's any need to underline it even further by having them cackling in the shadows for five seconds after after he shuts the door. Yeah, it, when the movie lacks confidence in what it's trying to convey, uh, that's that's when it slips. Yeah, so th- I, I would have done that different. And the fact that they make beans like she's making jumps that she doesn't have evidence for and it's changing her from like being the only one sharp enough to see it into just a paranoid nut job. Yeah, a little bit, which which is part of the myth, which is part of like what the myth is exploiting is sure. that people who are trying to take down the myth are unsuccessful because the myth is important enough that people want to believe in it. So they will explain away all the obvious flaws in it. Yeah. So next we have a uh, kind of religious ceremony. Yeah, this is really strange. I was expecting them to go kind of more with this, but it really was just a one-off like, let's have some fun choreography. So what what happens is that it's 12 o'clock on a Wednesday. That means it's water allotment time. Everyone line up. And everyone walks out of their houses, lines up, and does this crazy That's My Horse-esque water dance <laughs> where they, like, beat each other up and, and like, all file into line, like, with a... The, the, the thing that came to mind is religious fervor. You know, it's, it's the equivalent of doing a rain dance, essentially. And what, is it, what exactly is the point of this scene? Yeah, they're zombies. Um, I think it's to show just how much power the mayor holds. Yeah, and, and also maybe to show that the mayor just wants to fuck with them. Why have them hit each other? Um, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just like, hey, if you can get them to, uh, you know, trust you and you can get them to slap each other, then you can get them to do anything. It's it's a little bit more that psychological twist. Like, well, I've already done this for the mayor. Why wouldn't I do other things? Yeah, I, I guess it's just kind of underlining that if you have a myth um, if you're exploiting a myth, you can force people to do things that are against their own interests. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, man. Like, I, it, it just, it, it's weird. And like, yes, I can tie it back into the theme, but just the fact that they're hitting each other and the fact that it's a religious ceremony, it's it's like differently, it's like a different kind of faith than just the, um, than just the, the, the myth of the sheriff, of the, of the good lawman kind of thing like yes yeah, i think it's going from just belief in an idea to belief in religion specifically i think they're trying to use the trappings of things we're already familiar with to reinforce the idea that the mayor has this power um, i, guess I agree so. i think they kind of went overboard in a way that was uh distracting from the central point it makes us think of religion and that's really not what we're dealing with here that's we're dealing with, we're dealing with the nature of myth and yeah. and belief in the insubstantial with great which granted there's a Venn diagram there that you can overlap <laughs> with but it just it's confusing because it it redirects us to a specific confi- uh, a specifically defined thing in our life sure um so, uh, so and it's then, a little you know weird. there there is some like resurrection ma- imagery especially later on but it's either do less with it or do a lot more with it yeah. um so uh, beans you know is trying to say like look. The, the water's dried up. The mayor, he's up to something. But she also lets slip that the bank's low on water. Everyone tries to withdraw at once. And Rango appoints himself as protector of the water, even though he's clearly very self-interested. Yeah, he, he's like, now let me let me walk you through a uh, like a demonstration and starts drinking a bunch of water to make a point. And like <laughs> everybody's just so pissed off at him. And like I get the joke. But it's a weird thing to have the main conflict. I don't know what is up with kids' movies 
where dying of thirst in the desert is like an acceptable conflict generator is <laughs> like an acceptable <laughs> struggle we dealt it's with it in five goes west and we dealt with it here. i don't know what thirst being okay for kids to grapple with is 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 sort of an unwritten rule in animation it's, but it's it easy to, to wrap here. your head around it's it's an uncomfortable thing to watch honestly this is the end of the first third of the movie and then we get to this second third the second act which uh, is a variety of different scenes which basically take Rango off in every direction, following leads, just trying to figure stuff out, until finally we realize that, um, you know, it, the, the, the answers were all back at home. The entire middle is a wild goose chase. Yes. And, like, and it, it, it starts it, off with an explicit crazy. one, where he's just like, yeah. all right, men, we ride. And they just, they just go. And then they come back. Yeah, and that's one of those things where it's starting to, like, we're making fun of Westerns, with no, you know, love in our hearts for the actual Western tropes. For you know? sure. It, we're just making fun of it because, hey, this is what Westerns do. Aren't Westerns super self-serious? We're going to be silly about it. And it, it just it is less of that homage part and more of that criticism part. Right. Which I, I don't have, you know, Westerns, like, on a shelf, like, on, on beneath a, like, emergency do not break in case, <laughs> except in case of emergency glass. Like, I don't have do, it on Do a, not, in case of emergency, a, please don't break the glass. Yeah, don't, don't break the glass. <laughs> it's going to create more emergencies. Oh, now there's broken glass everywhere. This is so much worse. I don't hold Westerns to be beyond reproach, mm-hmm. but it is weird for a property to be both paying homage to a genre and also making fun of it so hard. So, um, we get a bit of a bank robbery. Yep. Yep. And Rango has to form a posse to track down the perpetrators. And this leads us on the goose chase of, uh, these mole rat family was going to steal the water from the bank, uh, but somebody beat them to it. Uh, do we, how much, how much in depth do we want to go into this bit? <laughs> the, it, like, so much of it can be fast forwarded. There's a couple points that I wanted to, that I wanted to point out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there, there's a few bits of dialogue that kind of underline the two philosophies of this movie that I really love. And they sure. both come from ad-libbing, I think, and some of it's better than others. So, okay. uh, there's, uh, there's this line where he's forming the posse. And he, like, pats uh, a frog on the back, and he's like, us reptiles gotta stick together, right, brother? I'm an amphibian. Ain't no shame in that. <laughs> and he just, uh, for the, it's not just a funny line, it's a really funny delivery. Yeah. And it just, it, like, it feels like an ad-lib line, you know? Like, not enough, it's not polished enough to have been written. I feel like that was ad-libbed, and it's beautiful. I, I thought the dialogue um, in general took a slight dip, so I, I, I wouldn't, I would believe that that is written, um, but there okay. were some. There were there were very similar jokes later on that are clearly not as good. So like, they're like, "Oh, it's a group of thespians. Thespians. That's illegal in seven states." Like, that's the same joke, <laughs> made much worse. Yeah, exactly. And and there's some extraneous dialogue from like just nondescript minor one, two, and three who are following yeah. on this posse. That is, I don't know how to qualify this dialogue. Because it doesn't do anything, and it's not really a joke, and I don't even understand it. Yeah, um, it's, it's... Where, where they're underneath the where they're under the ground, and one of them says, 
sure is humid down here. And the second one says, like Tony Bennett stepping out of the shower. And the third one says, shoot, I'd put that on a tortilla. <laughs> Where is the joke in there? The joke is... it just is, like uh, Western dialects are funny? Is the that joke all is, is they're like chatting and bullshitting. And in the back of them, there is an eyeball that is larger than anything else in the world. And that is never explained. Never explained. I have no idea what I'm looking at. You know, and then, uh, let's see, you know, there's the Native American stereotype. That's, they should have known then that wasn't great. Yeah, um, yeah. The the banker was, uh, the, well, yeah. The, the, the banker so the Native American murdered. stereotype, it, it is owing to a fine fievel tradition, and it's not as bad as there. Okay, yeah. There, they had literal headdresses and were doing the, you know, screeching <laughs> and hollering, dancing, and, and stuff like right. that. That's right. Doing the broken English. So it's not as bad. The accents and mannerisms are a little close. Yeah, it it doesn't reach the pinnacle of, you know, racial harmony that was Brave Star. But, uh, no, yeah, I am, no, of course, joking. Uh, this, yeah, it, well, I mean, like, they're not the only ones who are exploited for, for cheap jokes. There is, like, a lot of a amigo, hombre, gancho kind of kind of stuff with sure. some of the more Hispanic accents uh, in yeah, this uh, in this movie. I don't know if they, like, thought about it. I don't know if they were just like, well, it's a Western. We got to have these stereotypes in here. I don't, I don't, I don't know if they thought it was disagree. adding anything. I don't yeah, inherently well, it, disagree. But it should I be think added be... in some way. They're, they're, they're so clever about so many other things in this that I feel like they could have uh, uh, circled that square. You know, the, the gringo outlaw kind of trope and the mystic Native American trope are inextricable parts of the spaghetti western that mm-hmm. is true you know i i don't think that it was done so shamelessly and exploitatively that it it rises to the level of we shouldn't be using this at all it, it probably it's, could it's, have been done more tactfully certainly it's not like johnny depp's role in the lone ranger which i think everyone agreed was not ideal <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah uh, it, it's not as bad as i've seen in other places but, you know, I, I, I don't think that it, I don't know. It's always a weird thing to say I was not offended because I am not a, <laughs> a person in either of these categories. But, you know, I've, I've seen worse, I guess, sure. is the best I can say about it. Yeah, graded on a curve. And if you're on the assumption that this uh, genre requires at least a little bit of this, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the scene where they're around the campfire and people are asking Rango, ooh, tell us about rattlesnake jake tell us about the spirit of the west and he's like all right let me let me bullshit my way through this one too yep yep just no he lost the modicum of chill that he picked up in in the saloon sequence yeah um but and they they say a prayer before bed they're like thanking the spirit of the west for sending rango an honest what lawman is the spirit of the west spirit of the west it's the spirit of the west <laughs> Where, when did we start talking about this, this rango talks about idea. him like he's santa claus am i wrong I about that <laughs> It is an alabaster chariot and golden angels watching right. over us. Yeah, what I, that and you know something I like in any movie with yep. without fail is a dumb prophecy that has no purpose at all. I it's thought this. I thought as far as prophecies go, this one would be fine by you because it's clearly made up, but then becomes true in the inversion of what you're used to. It, it's like okay because it it has very low stakes. Like nobody's waiting yeah. for the prophecy to be revealed. It's just kind of like a weird myth. Um, that isn't, that isn't exactly, it's, it's, it's not really, the prophecy is toothless in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you it, know, it, it feels it like it doesn't it could matter. be just a throwaway joke. 
Yes, it's used the, as a joke, which is which is The fact that better. it comes back later made this a fun callback, and and I liked that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they they make him feel like a hero by by thanking him for everything he's done, and you can like the way they convey this, you can smell that oh, disgrace and dishonor has got to be like half an hour away at most. Yeah, am I wrong about that? Yeah. That, that watching that, you're like oh, he's gonna fall. The way it happens, I didn't love, but. He has to. Like, honestly, he, he has... Like, as soon as we set him up as fake-it-till-you-make-it character, we know that there is going to be a part where he is exposed as a fraud and mm-hmm. then actually becomes the myth. Like, that mm-hmm. that just... That's the only way movies... that That's the only way that, that theme can articulate. And this scene also had a heart-to-heart between Beans and Rango, um, kind of developing that love interest. And then... Mm-hmm. The next several scenes all kind of washed me by. <laughs> they they do. Um, I wanted to point out a couple scene, a couple things in that uh that uh that campfire sequence. Sure. Um, the mariachi owl pulling out a metallic blue electric guitar for the riding music at that point <laughs> is, is a funny is a funny little tidbit. And the fact that they have a camp out, I think, accomplishes a very good tonal purpose because. We get to see Rango in a relatively harmless setting that he gets to start hamming it up. Every other time, he's he's been flying by the seat of his pants and just barely outrunning a fire that has been threatening to engulf him for the most of the movie. And it's the first time that we can appreciate his acting with a sort of levity as opposed to a, oh, geez, are they going to believe this? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we've, we've, we've always been kind of afraid that he wouldn't be able to sell it before. And in this moment, we get to just really sink into the. He's got him. He's got him hook, line, and sinker. Just let him play. You know, it, it's a very good tonal break between crisis and crisis. Yeah, and it 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 plays into the movie's sweet spot, which is silly on the surface, sad underneath. Whereas the next few scenes are going to be like action on the surface, drama underneath, and I, they they don't they don't do that nearly as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Um. The thing about the spirit of the West is good because it brings us back to that ideal about believing in a thing that is insubstantial, believing in mm-hmm. a thing that you can't possibly confirm, and but it still gives them hope. And I think they actually mentioned that the water takes place of that because uh, they don't believe they'll be able to get the water back necessarily. They, they don't know that they can get the water back, but as sure. long as they believe that they might, there is technically still a future. Right. So right. the belief is the thing that's propelling them forward, but also the thing that the mayor is holding their heads over with so yeah i don't know it's just it's neat restate the theme so that we connect it both with rango and the spirit of the west yeah yeah more or less like it was a good it was a good it was good enough uh moment to restate it Mm -hmm. as you said the next few scenes all run together and i see them brought up a number of times in reviews like the okay so the, the substance of it is they meet this family of what are they moles I thought um, mole rats, but uh, I think something. they're moles. They're 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 country bumpkins, is what they are. Yeah, you know they're 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 the 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 mole rat family has like a hundred people in it, and they outnumber the 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 posse. And then there is like a chase sequence as Rango and crew try to take the water bottle away, and the chase sequence goes on for too long and doesn't matter. And then the water bottle is spilled, and they realize, oh wait, there was no water in here at all. What exactly happened to the water? I thought you've... Did you take it? No, I didn't take I wanted to take it, but it was already gone by the time I got to the bank. 
and then we actually get back to the plot. This has all, yeah. all lasted maybe 40 minutes or something. It's, of just it's... <laughs> From the start of forming the posse to the point at which they're like, oh, okay, let's head back to the plot. It, Nothing it's a, it's a th- happened. It's a third of the movie that could have been ignored if you had just listened to Beans in the first place. Easy third. And not even just and, listen and I don't... to Beans. Just we needed a different... A di- like it's so much a wild goose take a different chase. fake it's out so insubstantial there's nothing to it they don't learn anything and they don't get anything back from this here's here's how you fix it we had a uh, uh, bad bill we had a hawk we're gonna have rattlesnake jake take a villain that's already established and give rango the suspicion oh you know what i bet i bet something's up with them go out and find them realize no it's not them and then he asked, like, oh, I'm, I'm knocking down my process of elimination. It must be uh, the mayor. Rather than setting up this new group that's way too, like, it's not even silly funny. It's just kind of weird and, like, unnecessary. I think that part of that is the animation bump of uh, the, the animation hurdle of everything looks a little gross and moles in real life look gross and the animation does them no favors. It so does, the fact it that help. we are... The fact that we are looking at antagonists that have so much less... It's not merely that they're ugly. It's that they are... They don't really speak at all on the page. They are more environmental hazards than characters. And Um, also... We have a character in, you know, the mayor. And we have a character in Beans. And we have a character in Rango. I have not been able to keep track of any other character. Swear to God, I don't know <laughs> anyone else's name in this. I think there was like a doctor. I don't recall what his name or personality or function was. Or animal. I think that there was a little girl who was like sad and that's all I got from her. I don't remember any of these characters. Yeah, and it's weird They're because nothing. like they put a ton of effort into how they look. It just didn't... Uh... And they, and they spent a lot of but time on each other. I don't care about this fact. I don't care about this faction at all. No, <laughs> no, you can't. And the other thing that makes this uh, fail here is they set up a ton of dangling plot threads in the first third, and during this entire middle, they don't start new any any new ones, and they don't resolve any new ones or any old ones. Nothing happens in this middle third. I don't know why it's there. And then on top of that, we got some weird moments. So, for example, um, the moles have a bunch of bats which are unleashed to the Night on Bald Mountain theme and start dive-bombing and serving as mounts to the mole rats who accompany the music on banjo. Like, fucking why? What am I watching? Was this in the trailer? I don't I don't know. Who, who is this for? <laughs> it's a pretty blatant, like, excuse for action chase sequence thing. It, it, I hear it called out a lot in re- reviews. I was trying to say this earlier, but I got distracted by oh, my yeah. own hubris. Um, it... <laughs> Apparently, it's called out a lot as a specific reference to the trench TIE fighter sequence in Star Wars. I, and I vaguely see it. I see that that's a reference. I don't know why it's good. Why is it here? <laughs> what is it doing? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what it's doing here. I... I just mentally checked out for the entire middle of this, of this In movie. a movie so dripping with references to the Western genre, why include Star Wars? Honestly, I, I don't, don't even think they needed more references to Westerns at this point. I think they just needed to get on with the plot. Oh, they've it's got not too like many this, as it is. It's not like this is a short movie. You know, it's pushing up against two hours. No, they, they could have whittled some of this out. I, I think maybe they just... 
they needed more action is the only thing I can think of. Which is not like, I like, like I said, I like this for it's silly and I like it for it's sad. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't like this, this scene at all. It, it made me pretty irritated with yeah. just, and it started on, so it was such a high note when it was just, Johnny Depp is just going to act weird and we're all here to watch all the world's a stage. Yo. It's podcasters, merely players. And now, and now we get back to some really good scenes. Um, they're not quite as tight as they were in the beginning, but they, you know, they do what they're supposed to at least. There's this other. There's this other. Uh, just before we tie off that bloody stump of a middle section, um, <laughs> there there is like one bit of dialogue right at the end where this where this kid says it's a puzzle. It's like a mammogram. <laughs> that, that's not even a joke. That's like the thespians thing again. Like it's not yeah. even a joke. It's 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 filler. Do you think the roadkill character when we first see him and he has a big tire track through the middle? Do you think that was a metaphor for the movie? How it starts off really full and round and and complete at the beginning and at the end, and then there's just the middle section's completely flat. Uh, that, that's giving it a lot of. Credit. That was not I, an honest. <laughs> that was not an honest question. <laughs> I just needed you to laugh and move on. Okay, I guess, I guess we're fine then. Um, yeah, so so we do make it back to town, and Rango goes to see the mayor, who explains the themes for anyone who wasn't paying attention during his first villainous monologue. Um, yeah, he's got a, there. There are a couple of nice little bits of writing in here, uh, which is the the mayor. He's playing golf with some beetles, which is cute, I guess. Yeah. Um, the frontier town, the lawmen, the gunslinger. There's no place for them anymore. We're civilized. Which is directly saying, hey, you people who like Western tropes, Western tropes don't work anymore. The idea of, like, the the the, the, the good lawman and, and bringing the corrupt mayor to account, that's not what we're, that's not the future. That doesn't mm-hmm. actually exist. That's all in your head. It doesn't exist in the real world. For sure. And I would argue that it probably doesn't exist in the real world, but, but we're still in a movie, so it's going to exist by the end of this movie. <laughs> Um, but yeah, th- this is the rub of the theme, is that the, the mayor is using the myth of the frontier itself. Not just the myth of Rango, the myth of a western to pull the wool over the eyes of the townspeople. To pe- keep people complacent and robbing them dry, quite literally, he uses the superstition of the west. Yeah, the, the myth of the frontier, could you possibly mean the spirit of the West? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and uh, and he, he says to Rango, like, listen, you can be in on this or you can be against me. Like, it, It's all very veiled. Like, the way the mayor sells his lines is really well done. Mm-hmm. And Rango's like, no, I'm, I, I do believe in this. I'm, I'm with them. And so the mayor's like, it's a damn shame. We got to call in uh, Jake. Oh, you know who the mayor reminds me of? The uh, the senator from Old Brother Where Art Thou? Yes, the John Goodman t- character. <laughs> Not the John Goodman character. The 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 senator is like oh the senator the the one who pardons the soggy bottom boys <laughs> near the end of the movie. He's just like, <laughs> and they're gonna put their that and they say they've put their uh, criminal past behind them. And then he turns away from the camera and he gives him the eye and he's just like. In that right, boys. It's just like so, like <laughs> greasy and ugh. just this, just shameless opportunist. Yeah, he, he's no. There's he doesn't. He's not at all lying to himself about what he is. Mm-hmm. And uh, we 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 do learn uh, like this is a weird plot point that it hasn't been brought up before. Uh, the mayor owns every bit of land in this town except for Beans's old plot. 
that she's not going to sell because that's where my daddy died. Who cares? It's it's really weird. Like, Who gives a shit? They, like, they why talk does that about matter her even and her father and how the mayor's been helping people out so much in the past. It's weird that this didn't come out or wasn't part of why they went to go investigate the mayor in the first place. As like, I it just feels out of order. As I understand it, this is the Wild West where, like, there is no consulate that comes into town and, like, holds the corrupt Mario account. The mayor can just take the land. He's got the <laughs> muscle. There's nothing stopping him. Like, that's the point of, you know, a sheriff is that they would stop him. But he wants to do it legally for some reason. Listen, listen there, bad Bill. We're going to run you out of town and you can't come back. We're going to put up a fence. It's like I'm uh, sorry, sheriff, but. You don't have the zoning regulation requirements. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It's like how in um it's like how in Dante's Inferno, the movie that we were watching, uh Satan wasn't allowed it, he didn't want to like he wasn't like allowed to consummate his uh, he he didn't he wasn't allowed to like sire a child unless he was married to said person. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, like this weird propriety that he feels he needs to I mean, I guess that is pretty close to the whole um, Western mayor trope of play by the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. But they haven't they haven't built that up. Like, no, it's, <laughs> there's it's, no it's, one to hold him to account. It's it's like a teacher who doesn't enforce the rules evenly. It's like, uh, oh, you know, that stretch of highway, you're allowed to go 10 over, but then you happen to be the one who gets caught. Like, yeah, if you don't make the rule established, it doesn't matter that there's a rule. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think they're inhabiting the tropes without recognizing that the tropes have context and, and they, they didn't put in the context. And maybe the specific rules are different in different movies. So if you're stealing from the good, the bad, and the, and the ugly or a fistful of dollars and there's like some aspect of those that doesn't jive, you you can't just use the one that you want when you want it. it it's, it's really strange that he <laughs> feels the need to go through the proper channels of getting this land. It's just odd as hell. <laughs> so, um, you know, the crowd's scared concerned where's our water um then rango tries to calm them this is again like hey guys we're gonna say the theme again hope <laughs> in in the institution of the sheriff as long as that sign is standing you can believe in me did uh, you have the same feeling on the theme that i did because i feel like i shoved it down your throat a little i didn't have it in so many words but it, it was pretty clearly conveyed throughout the movie I think so, too, which is why I didn't, like, shy too much away from making sure you were on the same page. Like, I, I, I figured you were probably going to pick up what I was putting down. But the I just Spirit of the to make West, sure. blend in, believe in yourself. It's like, all there. You, yeah, there, there's only so many themes, and they hit them a lot. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Rattlesnake Jake comes to mess it all up. And I don't know what I was expecting the movie to do with the snake, because, like, they got chickens and lizards and stuff, and everybody's kind of the same size. This is just a giant-ass snake with a gatling gun instead of a rattle. Yeah, so... They just stuck, they just stuck a hat on a snake and gave him a gun. Yeah, I, There's I no want to talk about... There's no to him at all. Yeah, he, well, he's your standard badass outlaw with a reputation. This is, uh, this is just, like, just like the Native American, you know, mystic, just like the uh, gringo outlaws. This, this is a part of the Western formula. You know? It's just really weird because they already had Bad Bill. Well, yeah, but he was like a he, he was like the he was like the throwaway villain, you know. He he was he was your starter villain. The small this, this guy's this guy's the other guy with the myth, right? The ba Bad Bill didn't have a myth. This guy's got a myth. Sure. Uh, and that that's the important part is which one of their myths is stronger, and it's the one who can actually back up his claims. Um, I do want to mention that this, this Jake the Snake has this adorable little mustache. <laughs> Like, with the little uh 
scales kind of put in yeah, that direction. It, it, it's clearly a mustache. <laughs> it looks very, very good. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, rather than... is So, like a badass outlaw, in any Western, he gets to town, he faces down the sheriff, and then just talks down to him until the sheriff confesses his crimes. No evidence, no trickery. It's like Perry Mason, like, you did it, didn't you? <laughs> and it's such an anti-climax, like... Just like, admit just... you're, here, have this gun, I dare you to shoot me. You're not going to do it. You're a fake, aren't you? Yeah. You should leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, weird that this wasn't a bigger moment. Well, it's it's also strange because it's, like, inconsistent for Rango's character. Because Rango has stood up to more intense pressure and not flinched and has, you know, doubled down on his fake identity. This is such a flimsy amount of pressure that the person is putting on him. But I... he just falls apart <laughs> i think that you know they don't set this up but internally i could imagine rango being like i don't have a plan to get them their water back this is a way i can leave and honestly mm. it would have been interesting to see the mayor like put that to him or have rattlesnake jake like wink and say like this is your only chance to get out of here you know yeah. without causing a, a fuss without having your myth destroyed i like um, that actually i like that a lot like because they do go into the idea of the identity being unimportant, but the actions being what matter. Right. Well, so the, the idea that the he man. would be, you know, prioritizing his identity over what actually happens to the town would be a good way to, uh, to to really get in Rango's head of like what is his motivating factor here. Um. But yeah, that that would have been a good way to do it. I'm I'm glad that you also noticed that this was just like him making fun of Rango until he gave up. Yeah, he just talks him down. Like, there's, like there's, you, you didn't need this guy to be a huge fucking snake. It's it's like it's the equivalent of a bully asking you over and over to share some gum. Yeah, you know, like it's just like, come on, give me some gum. Give me some gum. No, come on, give me some gum. <laughs> fine fine if it'll get you to, like he's just rango is just is is sacrificing his identity and this struggle in an effort to make the bully leave him alone for a few minutes like there, sure. there's no threat <laughs> behind it i'm i'm tired <laughs> like honestly it's so weird so um but yeah rango leaves in disgrace yes and and we're we're you know i was still thinking fievel it's this part where like wily burp goes and gives up and fievel has to go find him and, and cheer him out of it right yeah and so we have this long wordless walking through the desert montage and i swear this is just an excuse for them to show off their animation chops and it absolutely worked on me yeah i'm, I'm pretty into it like the way the, 2D the sand animation. move the way the, oh yeah the way the time passes yeah it, they, they know exactly what they're doing i was a little pissed off by the previous sequence so i didn't take much note of it but <laughs> you know as as far as a like walk of shame kind of thing that some westerns sometimes do this is uh this is a good one and and whereas before and you know we, we we feel this as the hero's depths uh before he could said i could be anybody um and now he's explicitly saying like i'm no one yeah and we, which i think we kind of already figured that that was the rub of his character at this point is that he was not able to convince himself sure that he was this myth this is the thing that i was talking about with the what is the major difference between the false hope that rango and the mayor are selling to the townspeople and the answer is that there's not a lot of difference like right. the mayor is using it to exploit 
But the Rango is also using it to exploit. He's doing it for his own ego. He's doing it for his own survival. He's not really doing it because he believes that he is this person. And that is the main thing that leads this kind of turnaround is that he believes that he's nobody at this point. He needs to believe in his own myth. He needs to actually embrace this fantasy that everybody else believes in in order to make it real. Like, like you know, I mean, like, history is ripe with these kind of social orders that, like, it's impossible until you do it. It is until we see the future in front of us, we can't cause it to happen. Like, we, we have to believe that it's possible before we can actually do it. So that, that this is the final step that turns him from just a grifter into a hero, is that he has to believe in his own legacy for sure and he learns that like it's the actions that matter it's it's the actions that cause the legacy to persist and what separates him from uh, the mayor um and you know it, it's like what he's about to learn explicitly from uh you know the man with no name uh which but, is well first <laughs> he has to cross a road without looking which i guess yeah. is a metaphor so he makes it back to the highway, and, you know, Roadkill had said, like, it's all about getting to the other side. I was wondering what you thought about this, because he, like, catatonically, in a daze, walks forward, and every truck, every car is just barely missing him, and he gets to the other side and collapses. I don't, I don't have a fucking clue what this means. It was tender and emotional, <laughs> but I, I don't know what happened. I, I, I don't, don't know why. I don't have any idea what this metaphor is. They got a little too far up their own ass. It's that's, probably that's heat stroke. What, honestly. Like, like, okay, let, let me let me really put the thinking cap on here. Like, is the metaphor <laughs> that he's accepting So I think it will I make I think I, it will make more sense once we deal with the next scene. Well no, it won't, because the the very next sequence is once he gets there and he collapses, some beetles carry him away. No. <laughs> I don't know what that means Wait, either. Did they carry him further away from the desert or did they bring him back to the other side? Or was it a hallucination? I don't have a clue what's going on. We we're gonna have a Rango dream sequence and he's gonna be told no hero can walk out on his own story. And, and I so, think this is his, like, triumphant return. If you want to do the religious imagery again, like, oh, you know, he, he metaphorically died and then came back. But, but like, he's walking <laughs> away from his story, and he's having faith that he won't be harmed in doing so. Like, I don't understand the metaphor at all here. They they underline the villain, met, like, the villain motivations five times in an earlier scene, but I don't have any clue what this means. It's a little mismatch of when to be explicit and when not. I I liked it. I thought it was very, uh, you know, I thought it was emotionally true. I thought it uh, uh, was visually striking, but I cannot explain it on a, you know, I I can't write an essay on this. And we're in metaphorical territory here because we're about to meet the manifestation of an ideal. Like, it's, it's, it, it is clearly evoking this means a thing, but I don't know what that thing is. It means it hard. It does mean it hard. I think it says something that we both independently came up with the phrase up its own ass. <laughs> I don't think we came up with that phrase. No, but like we applied it to this independently. It's in my notes, dog. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, it, like it doesn't bother me. It's just like, it's, I don't know what it means. And that's just very strange. And speaking I'm pretty of, good at figuring out what this means. And speaking of up its own ass, there's nothing more 
uh, masturbatory than a Hollywood feature film, uh, like talking, like like flipping the bird at the idea of the Oscars, and that's what we're about to have. Yeah, that's okay. That's pretty good <laughs> because we we see it's in a white space, just like any Johnny Depp, you know, drug sequence is going to be. Yep. And Rango sees the Golden Guardians and the Alabaster Chariot, which is a golf cart with a bunch of Oscars thrown in the back. I, I, again, we're in metaphor space. This means things. I don't know <laughs> what it means. Like, the only other time that golf happened was because the mayor was playing golf. <laughs> I well, don't... It's, a, it's a symbol of modernity. It's a symbol of... Uh, of you of know, the L.A. L- life. L.A. and Las Vegas. And what we see is Timothy Oliphant playing Clint Eastwood in like, this is the first human we've seen. And he gets the same animation treatment and it's pretty jarring. <laughs> it does, doesn't look very good. Like, I, I like Rango, the way Rango looks now. But I had to get used to him. Yeah. There's not enough time to get used to this face. Yeah, he, like, like his angles feel off. I almost like, how do they do it in... Uh, how did they do it in the Sandlot? Did they have like a Babe Ruth stand-in, or did they have like, uh, did they just have like a voice? I don't remember. No, they had a stand-in. They had they, they had that stand-in. shimmering figure come in and steal his Barry Bonds card. <laughs> <laughs> that shimmering figure is so good. Um, so yeah, is so the this, Sandlot a western? The Sandlot is like. All right, all right, that's a thought we should come back to. I think, we'll come back actually. to it. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back around. We, I, I don't want to go gotta over get too much time. we got to golf but... card Golden Globes thing first. <laughs> so um, it, this is the man with no name, right? It, it yep. perfectly reflects Rango's I could be anyone mentality. Yep. Um, and he is like, gi- he's giving Rango the, the talking to slash dressing down that he needs, but he's also driving around in a, in a golf cart filled with all of his accolades. So like... Is he playing straight the idea that Westerns mattered and were right and there was something valuable there? Or is he saying, hey, man, these are all stories. Nobody believes any of this, but it doesn't matter. I think it's the second. Yeah. I I think it's also a subtle. I think it's also part of that class commentary again of like kind of making fun of the uh, Los Angeles socialite lifestyle where like the most important things to Clint Eastwood are are hoarding his golden globes and and you know playing on the golf course which i i don't happen to know anything about clint eastwood other than that very strange obama thing but you know it's 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 pretty fucking strange i I feel like like i don't know it's a weird like gotcha moment that wasn't really heralded and i didn't understand why it was there i i feel like i can never go to see his movie because i didn't see any of them and i feel like all i'm ever gonna see is that obama thing Obama thing is so funny. It's like so as we- an example of like In case nobody knows what we're talking about, at the Republican <laughs> National Convention, Clint Eastwood like set an empty chair and talked to it as if it had Obama and like yelled at him for doing gun control. <laughs> it's really amazing. <laughs> and like it's way more recently than like like it's it's more recent then I feel like something like that should have happened to be such a big deal because things have gotten so weird anyway. But yeah. it's also so long ago that like it's it's almost like <laughs> it's, it's just kind really of cute now. Like it's almost cute and tame compared to the bullshit that's going on with the Republican Party nowadays. That like <laughs> I don't know. It's almost kind of sweet. Like it's <laughs> it's almost like playground shenanigans. You know. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just I can't. Help, I agree. I can't really see it I, any I can't, other way I can't either. Watch, I can't watch his movies anymore. <laughs> 
I'm like, this is the same guy. I think it's going to be like a Michael Jackson thing. Like once he dies and is gone for a while, like he'll have a resurgence. There's, there's a refractory period here. Is that he needs to dead be... now? I don't actually know. Clint Eastwood. We should probably know this considering how much we like. It, it's interesting. You know, we're, we're very dismissive <laughs> a lot of a lot of stuff in terms of like tropism and genre conventions and stuff. I tend to like a lot of the Western tropes. Oh, sure. I, I just don't really have any time for Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm person. sure they're very, sure, very good movies. Uh, yeah, he's not dead yet. Oh, okay. He was the mayor of a town called Carmel-by-the-Sea. Man, do you think he's going to talk to an invisible Biden? <laughs> I think he's probably Fingers tired. Fingers crossed. He's 89. I don't know. I feel like that would be a good research. Like, I feel like if if Biden is trying to follow Obama's formula to a T, he's got to get that weird, you know, phantom interview with, with Clint Eastwood, right? <laughs> I'm kind of amazed nothing like that ever happened since, really. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they, like, learned their lesson of, like, wow, that was... That didn't go over well. That, like, just looked childish and weird. Yeah, that's what I associate them with, learning their lesson. Uh, fair enough. A- anyway. <laughs> anyway, where did Clint Eastwood stand, stand in his I can't his believe globes. that we were like, let's come back to talking about the Sandlot, but let's dig in on Clint Eastwood in the middle of this for five minutes. <laughs> so, he's, he's clutching his Golden Globes and telling Rango, yeah, I don't really care who you are. <laughs> and that, that's the kick in the ass he needed to get back to... Yeah, I agree. I have no idea why what the Golden Globes and, and the golf cart thing are, other than like a critique of prominent actors. Yeah, ho- Hollywood loves masturbation and flagellation. That's kind of what they're at their whole deal. Yeah, this is this is a a self taunt. Yeah. Um, so Rango gets a talking to about his destiny. Uh, I like a lot of the lines. They all feel very like they've got gravitas. And they're all things like, mm-hmm. no no man can walk out on his own journey. Or like, you're a hero enough for the people of that town and you got to show. Like, it's well done. The The line that I like is, uh, I'm going back. Why? Because that's who I am. And that's a line that is usually cliche and is just there to mean like, I figured out what my purpose is. But here it's got more to it because of the identity and myth being inextricably intertwined in this story with Rango. By saying that going back is who he is he's both admitting that he bought into his own hype and that his own hype is what his actions are so it's who i am is both like recursive and also like emblematic of his philosophies now oh see i saw it as that's who i am as a line is more of proving to the other person like i'm not going to abandon you i'm giving you hope here this is the question he's been struggling with the whole time and so i think that was much more of a like i believe it in my own heart now i'm not just grifting that's uh, that, that's also true like it, there's a lot of pieces to that sentence that cause it to be heavier than it normally would be in any other kind of story mm-hmm. um yep. he now believes himself to be the hero is what that line means um it also kind of squares the uncomfortable circle of lying to a town because it's now not a facade right it's an identity and even if he fails, it doesn't actually matter in terms of, like, the moral battle that's being fought. He knew that he was taking advantage of this town by lying to save his own skin before. Mm-hmm. He now believes himself to be this myth. And that means he's no longer lying. He might just be incompetent, which is a step up. <laughs> he's definitely incompetent. Yeah. So um, he also sees Roadkill again, who helps him bring it all together. They, they follow... Uh, they, they, there was this mention of these walking <laughs> isn't, cacti. 
isn't uh isn't where the uh, water is but before we get to like extraneous tertiary plot details that are coming back at a time that i didn't expect them isn't uh roadkill played by alfred molina mm-hmm. yep doc ock himself <laughs> what is he doing here he does what he wants doesn't he have anything better to do <laughs> not really like i it, you know it's just really funny to me but yeah go on with, with <laughs> they, cat, they, with they had the cactus. opportunity to make this character voiced by an actual serious actor or they could have used cheech marin and i feel like this was the right call <laughs> I, I could have used some cheech marin armadillo <laughs> so um like we said they, they they follow the cacti to where the water went you know where it's been diverted it went to la baby um this is where it all came together for me i'm like yes the place where man and his hubris pumped water and destroyed the West. They gave Clint the Oscar. They gave this the Oscar. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is like thematically resonant with the whole class thing that we were talking about. It it is like really fucking. It is really you know shoved in there without any kind of thought with how it's with like what is motivating this sudden realization. But like the whole walking cactuses thing, like searching for the water. And I've got a lot of problems with just, like, the logistics of the mayor controlling the water, considering it's a single spigot, and when they undo it, just, it all Aww. just goes back to where it was going to go. <laughs> like, it's just kind of nuts. It It's really weird. No, I, I think just, uh, you know, uh, beaming back on the metaphorical level and everything within the dream sequence, knowing ahead of time that this won an Oscar made it, like, 10% better just throughout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, back in the real world, um, the Sandlot's definitely a Western. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Like, it's it's not the same. There's seven different stories of Westerns, and it's not the same kind, but it's definitely one of them. Did you look just look this up? <laughs> no, no. I, okay. I read the seven Westerns thing earlier, and uh, I don't even remember what they are, but I'm sure the Sandlot's one of them. How could it not be? Honestly, there's sand. It's a Western. It's not, <laughs> yeah. And it's not beach sand. Uh, anyway, in the in the plot, the mayor, yes. <laughs> if you forgot what the actual plot of this was, other than the cool identity stuff that Rango is going through, the mayor is trying to buy up the last bit of land, which Beans controls because of daddy abandonment issues. Like, I forgot about all of this. He's, <laughs> when we got build... back here, I was like, is that what we were waiting on? He wants to build the city of the future, you see. Yeah, and, and Rango shows up to rescue yeah. So they, they they do the whole high noon trope where he lines up against Jake the Snake and they do a lot of good Western kind of iconography here where a lot of good different perspective, like it's just like the saloon sequence. We're looking at the dramatic set piece through a bunch of different perspective. You see a bunch of bottles clanking and you look through a, the you look through the head of a noose. Yes, it's pretty cool. It's mm-hmm. got good like spaghetti Western energy. Yep. And now uh, when when Rango stares down Jake the Rattlesnake, um, who, who like, uh, uh, before he had looked him in the eye and said, you know, you're no killer. This time he's like, oh shit, you're, you're in on this. You're ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's kind of a cool, like, professionalism seeing each other kind of, there's a respect here, you know? But, um, but Rango set a, uh, that might happen later. Rango sets a trap, uh, for Jake with the mole rat clan. He, like, tricks him over the rat tunnel and they... Uh, basically, this is when they disrupt the shutoff valve. Water comes through and, like, floods the town. Yeah, this totally undermines the importance of this face-off. Like, yeah. Why on? Why is the duel happening at all? Why didn't they just shut the water back? Like, what, just turn the, turn the spigot and turn the water back on in the town. What exactly does the duel accomplish that turning the spigot on doesn't? 
Honestly, I get a little turned around with the exact order of things and why everything happened. I, th this was part of the wrapping up too many threads all at once thing. I, I just like, I, I guess the idea behind this, if I'm being at my most generous, is that the mayor is using a myth that he is in control of everything. And that myth is not actually real because any any odd joker from the mole clan can go turn a spigot and bring the town back to life anytime they want. They just don't realize they can do it. I I don't know. Like, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Like, like the old West town, like, Oh, you know, it was always within us to fend off the marauders. We just never realized that we could. Maybe like, I, I don't know that that's at my most generous. I honestly think that it's just a, you know, Dana wall pile up, like you said. Yep. But, um, there's, there's, you know, so it, it, it hits Snake with the geyser, and uh, there's some dumb climax nonsense, and it ends with... There's some with, more rat fighting. Rat and bat fighting. There's some rat and bat fighting. I, I couldn't care less. The mayor threatens to kill beans and takes... Here, Here's another... Like I, We say that the back third of this movie is fine. I actually think that everything after the first third I could have done without. <laughs> I, liked the, I liked the spirit of the West. The spirit of the West is fine. <laughs> Uh, uh, and it, and it's good on a thematic point, but like the last few plot beats of this are ridiculous and strange. Um, they take he, he, the mayor takes Beans hostage, shoves her in a vault, shoves Rango in said vault, and then starts flooding it. They have a kiss. Rango does the Heimlich maneuver on Beans because she swallowed a bullet, and that like breaks the glass. And I don't have any idea why any of this is happening. Ah. Uh. It all it's all very contrived. Like it is so contrived. There were a million different ways you could have done this better. I can't believe that this is the <laughs> thing that they landed on. I think they wanted a sense of like momentum toward a, a climactic finish, and no one piece of it did it because we already established uh, uh, that we brought the water back. We already established that uh, you know R Rango's not afraid of Jake anymore. He knows himself. it's really just a matter of going through the motions of actually defeating the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, and of infusing as many Western tropes as we can because we do have the damsel in distress, which is necessary. I mean, let's just accept that it's necessary at this point. I was point. waiting the whole movie for her like going blank as a defense mechanism to like pay off in some they way. They set it and up it, as something that should like be a Chekhov's gun of sorts, right? It's the one thing that isn't. It's the one Everything thing else in this movie is. It's the only thing about her character, you know? Like it's the it's the it's the singular feature about her that mm -hmm. makes her, you know, dynamic and more than just a face in the crowd and it is not useful at all, which is, you know, fine in the real world, but like this is a <laughs> work of drama and I am conditioned to see that, like, when I see this is a, a feature about this person that is presumably not useful, it must be useful later. That That is just how it works. And, and, her, and just there's no payoff for it, and that's weird. And her other characteristics, which would be useful, aren't, because even though she realizes things way ahead of anyone else, it doesn't matter because they don't do anything until Rango, Rango figures it out, too. She's sort of like a like an oracle in that way, like a Cassandra figure. Yeah, isn't she? yeah. She's got like visions of the future, but no one believes her, and it's coupled with this like physical ailment. Yeah, like oh, I'm I'm warning you, this can't last forever. What are you talking about? There's always going to be gold in them, our hills. And I think it's because she's been burned before, right? The the mm -hmm. whole her telling herself this myth about her dad not abandoning her. It means that she she's some part of her recognizes. 
I, I shouldn't just believe the things that I want to believe. Just just thinking, just believing them doesn't make them so. Mm-hmm. So so there is something there. It just it's so unrelated to the soul defining characteristic about her and that's that's odd that's odd for a movie that prides itself on like dramatic climaxes and swells there are some things about this ending i do like um most of them are like small moments the interaction between rango and jake uh, especially when he's like hey you you really did it like from i tip my hat to you from one legend to another like that's pretty satisfying and uh, that is how jake kind of appeared he he was a figure of myth and yep. Rango now is a figure of myth, so it goes back to that identity thing, which is good. I like that, uh, you know, the promise that Rango made all the way in the beginning when he didn't mean it, that he was going to bring the water back, <laughs> uh, came true. And that's, you know, him fulfilling his heroic legacy so that he could consider himself a hero. That I, I like that a lot. That is fine. That is fine. And, uh, you know, I like the owls. They're, they're I- charming. Let's let's talk about the owls because we're we're in the ending wrap up sequence. the The mayor has been ousted. Jake the snake is like, oh, later. I'm gonna I'll eat break. him. <laughs> I'm gonna go eat this mayor. And uh, you know, Rango off gets screen, the girl. Off screen, we're not savages. Rango, Rango gets the girl. The the town is now prosperous again. Um, and now we're in the ending sequence where the owls reveal that the whole death prophecy was just a gag. Oh yeah, we forgot. There, uh, there's a death prophecy. The owl started the movie saying, like, we're going to tell you about the heroic exploits and untimely demise of Rango. And at the end, they're like, listen, he'll die someday. Yeah. it's like, And that's just a, a straight up making fun of the whole, like, tragic legend that is a Western hero kind of thing. Sure. So it's it's more on the criticism side and not as much on the homage side. Um, there's... It, it, it gives them a way to end the movie with the framing device in a way that doesn't just restate the ending of the movie. I know. It just like kind of <laughs> undercuts the homage part of it, and I, I don't love that it's so much. It's a big much. Like, you don't need it. They do two more of them in like quick succession here. <laughs> they, they do the... Uh, like, like, Rango rides off into the sunset, and they talk to each other. Oh, this is the sunset shot. And then followed by Rango doing a dumb hero speech. Like, they're just, there's so much on the side of making fun of Western traditions instead of paying homage to them. I don't even remember that last part. <laughs> yeah, like, they're just like, oh, it's the sunset shot. Oh, if we call out a fourth wall, bre- like, if we make a fourth wall breaking moment to count out a genre that counts as a joke, it really doesn't. That doesn't make a joke. That's just, like, being pissy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened to this movie. It, it, it's a weird ending. And, and I guess we should also mention that the way that uh, the water transforms the town is to turn it into beachfront property. Like, it's now a beachfront resort town, like in, like in you know, South California, instead of a Western town. And now it makes fun of all the Western traditions. I don't know, man. <laughs> when the water starts shooting out from the ground and everyone's like happy and frolicking, but nobody's like grabbing a bucket to save it. I'm like, this is, come on, guys. Well, I mean, that's just, you know. Problem is solved. Tension is over. We don't have to worry about logistics anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I, I feel like the whole. Fact, I, feel, I feel like the fact <laughs> that it turns back into it turns from a western dry little town into you know everybody's in speedos and like doing some L.A. lifestyle kind of flaunting wealth sort of stuff. Did I miss uh, a post credit sequence? I don't remember this. You didn't remember, like, the fact that dirt is now mud? No. 
Yeah, there, there's a whole scene where dirt is now mud and the whole turn towns into like this weird beachfront resort town instead of a western town. Yeah, I missed that. Did you did you did you see Rango riding off into the distance? I don't man, I don't even remember. That's amazing. You you missed like a finale like city versus rural. I think kinda, I saw the owls thing. come out and I was like, oh, okay, okay, we're done here. So yeah. I just like <laughs> I minimized it and started taking some notes on the ending. <laughs> okay, okay. That that's fair. Like there wasn't much more to it. It was just like another weird mark on the they seem to be drawing a line between rural society and uh city city slicker society and i sure don't understand like i don't know it doesn't really come down on like whether one is good or bad it seems to be making fun of southern california lifestyle that's just my read on it i'm always in for that yeah yeah and the the ending credits as you say are set to some wipeout style music which (laughs) cement us in the surfer central that i just explained sure um and and that is that's the end of rango Folks, that's the end of Rango. Nothing heralded that that would be the end of Rango. No, no, <laughs> here I we didn't. are. <laughs> I mean, like it did. No, I, you know, I, 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 I kind of disagree. I think that it, it ended. Yeah, it's fine. In a, in a, you know, complete. It, it ended complete. Like it didn't leave me hanging anywhere, and I, I feel like it kept a consistent tone, lighthearted as it was at the, at the end. I just didn't really like it that much. You know, it on the whole, it looked really nice. It kept my attention. It flowed pretty well, but there was just a lot of a uh, lot of really weird inconsistencies in the attention and the balance of, uh, of parody versus holding true to it in the second and third acts. And a lot of fluff, like the the second act. I I feel like there's got to be a better way to do it than that. And I like that. It just totally lost me with how bad it was. Sure. Yeah, let, let, let's kind of wrap up. Uh, what did we... Well, I, I guess before we, we start doing kind of our final thesis, and, and maybe we can kind of intersperse it with this, uh, we do have some comments from oh. the, per, the from James himself who recommended us this, uh, this movie. Um, right. uh, thank you very much for recommending us this. It is very cool because it is a 2D in the late life cycle of the 2D mo- animated movie. I think we are moving away from that now, but it is nice to see what happens when they put all the tricks together, and it looks really good. The artistic direction on it is a little bit more haphazard. Like I said, I don't think that the gritty western town really meshes super well with what they're trying to peddle to kids, while at the same time also recognizing that it was entertaining, and I think kids would would be fine with it. It was entertaining. I think Johnny Depp was really well cast like it's weird because it didn't sound to me entirely like johnny depp but uh that that energy and that aloofness really brought that role out i thought the i thought the role of rango was pretty strong throughout it's funny you should mention that the first question the first kind of com- he's got a few comments slash <laughs> he's questions. got a list of questions for us yeah, he's got a list of questions for us in james uh in in, in pirates of dark water style uh the first of which is which character do you think is johnny depp's best and why is it rango Ooh. Uh, gonna gonna take some issue with that one. I don't think that Rango is the best Johnny Depp character. I, but I don't really love Johnny Depp that much, so I don't have like a huge catalog on him. All My I can Im- do is, all I can do is contrast it with Captain Jack Sparrow because that is 
the most zaniest role that I have seen him in that isn't this. Mm-hmm. The um, and I improv- think he steals more of the spotlight in that movie. My improv group had a uh, Johnny Depp day where we were each given uh, a Johnny Depp character that clashed most naturally with the way we normally act and had to try and inhabit that role. Um, and I got I got Edward Scissorhands and I found that that role like had an actual like a lot of pathos and difficulty in in the execution of it. But in terms of like what I want to watch, God, Captain Jack was really good when he cared. Um Rango, I think the fact that he's playing so many different layers makes it hard for me to get a, a true read on this character. I've got two thoughts on this, like, uh, and I'm only going to contrast with Captain Jack Sparrow because I think that's the only one that is in the running for best Johnny Depp role that I I haven't have seen, seen a lot of Johnny Depp roles. <laughs> no, I, I think I saw like the 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 Todd Sweeney movie a long time ago, and I definitely saw Edward Scissorhands, but I don't remember it very well. Um, so Captain Jack Sparrow is just the best you know, pop culture reference I can, I can really do. There's, there's two contrasts that I want to point out. And I think that he's a equally capable actor in both this, uh, in both Rango and Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. But in Pirates of the Caribbean, most everyone else is serious. And so there, everybody else acts as a straight man to him, which allows his kind of zany behavior pop a little bit better, even though he's, you know, by volume zanier in this movie. <laughs> However... In this movie, in Rango, he was the only character to focus on. <laughs> like, I, I yes. didn't get... There, everybody <laughs> it's it's else not just, fair. I never had to watch Will Turner talk about being a blacksmith. And that that's that's a bonus. <laughs> like if so, so, by and large, he stole the spotlight more, but the times that he stole the spotlight were less effective than in Pirates of the Caribbean. I think I overall prefer him as Jack, Captain Jack Sparrow. But I don't think that this was a bad performance. I think that he did quite well in his kind of interpretation of a struggling artist figuring out how to like market himself and like to what degree does he really want to inhabit the role and what does that mean about him as an individual? And I think that that is all really cool context that his 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 um his his person attitude brings to the character. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think that it articulated nearly <laughs> as comically as Captain Jack Sparrow and that's not a fault of his there, there are roles of his that I do want to see before I would like if I if I had to pick one for the rest of time and never change my answer I would want the broader selection to start with but I could find myself being persuaded that that Rango's is, is his best I, I think it's up there um, but you know I, I think we're also prone to preferring the zanier depictions of actors as opposed to like they're more serious and and kind of um reserved roles like i haven't seen the notebook in a long time i think that that one was one of his as well i i I would love to see uh robert downey jr's character in a scanner darkly the weird like drug conspiracy guy as iron man i want to see dale gribble as (laughs) iron man (laughs) like that's that's what i'm like interested in i hid tuna in my backup uh in my backup suit because that's the first thing the government's going to come after (laughs) Uh, yeah, so that's his first question. Okay. Uh, I hope we answered it to relative completion. To relative answer your question, the Sandlot is a Western. The Sandlot's a Western. <laughs> uh, second question, does it get extra credit because it's good and kids enjoy it? I think yes. it's gooder for kids, honestly. Yes, it gets credits. 
no, not in my eyes. Like, I, I, I can't judge it from a different metric than as I exist currently. I think, and, and you know, it, it's, I'm kind of surprised that it plays as well with kids as it does. Because as I said, I think the aesthetic might be a hard sell. And there's enough referential quality to it that it, it almost feels a little bit more catered to, you know, a, a more mature audience. But yes, it, it carries some weight. I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh, kids enjoy it. Um, so I, uh, I, I think yeah. I personally think that he, he um, mentioned that he he had a son. So like we can yes. we can that's canon on 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 Mike. <laughs> I, I assume that your kids enjoy this, and that is uh, I am glad to hear that. Yeah, that is uh, fortunate. I, I really like this as an idea of like entrance point into the concept of a western five goes west was my entrance point and it really left me with a strong impression for westerns and an appreciation for the tropes that inhabit it mm -hmm. i think that five goes west is still just a better movie though <laughs> when i think of like parodying genre conventions or scenes where the night on bald mountain is played and things are at, like bats are serving as torpedoes like my mind snaps to bugs bunny who <laughs> I yeah, think he's is, all about weaponizing animals. And, and I think Rango serves a similar role for a lot of the movie. The problem is two hours long and there's nothing else to look at. I, I think kids would enjoy this. I, I, I think I would change some things if I wanted to gear it more in that direction. And I don't think doing that would hurt it with other audiences either. I don't know how I do a lot of this movie that would change it. I just know that the middle really needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. Um. But I, I don't know how I do it, so I, I can't. I'm not. I can't be the arbiter of whether or not, you know, I could change it for the better. But uh, I'm I'm glad that kids enjoy it. I I still think that Five Goes West is, and I hesitate to say objectively. I think it's just a better show or a, a, a better movie in general. I think it more accurately embodies what a western is. I think it is less offensive to the senses. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way this looked. I, I, I like it too, but like I like it because I like looking at gross stuff depicted yeah, in the animation. I like in it the more, Cronenberg sense, I liked this. I like it kind of as a novelty more than as like in and of itself. I, I don't like it aesthetically, I don't think. For sure. I, except for the character of Rango. He looks very good. Like the eyes and the, the, the shirt that he wears. and He does like five costume changes, which is such a good actor kind of, you know kind of thing yeah um, it's effective it is effective his last question just to get it out of the way uh he apparently he really latched onto this in pirates of dark water if this was live action who does shia labeouf play yeah if, if live action <laughs> yeah how do you make this live action like like pull a lion king on it where it's cgi you, but you, it's no you throw shia labeouf off of a truck he doesn't know his own name he wanders into the desert <laughs> cheech marin shows up and you know talks to him for a little bit I could see Shia LaBeouf as the uh, armadillo. I could see no, him... no, Cheech Marin as the armadillo. Oh yeah, yeah. I could see Shia LaBeouf as like, um, you know, one of those mole rat guys. I like, think that like he's like the snake. Like, like oh, like trying to be a tough guy, like he tried to be in uh, Indiana Jones. Not not like Indiana Jones. I think that he is ready for a menacing role. Menacing. I want to see him on the menacing side of things. I want to see him as the spirit of the West and just keep fucking up, like completely lose all the levity from that role <laughs> or, or the gravity of that role. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so levity focused already with the Golden Globes, man. I want to see uh, like Rango, like they're 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 riding out in the desert and they're looking at all the things happening by and there's just like a young boy digging a hole. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, just like do a, a medley of all the Shia LaBeouf movies. <laughs> he finds a crystal skull in the hole. What is this? Somebody comes by and starts fighting him doing jujitsu and talking about how he's an actual cannibal. And I, I put that as canonically a Shia LaBeouf role. Transformers? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're just talking about Shia LaBeouf now. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about the roles that he could inhabit. <laughs> I, I think I say Jake the Snake. I, I think that's doable. I think Rango's kind of the obvious choice, but I'm, honestly, I, I think he's more of a minor character, like one of the one of the Rat King's uh, boys, or, like the one maybe, who keeps getting beaten. Yeah, it could it could be that he could be the Toad at the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah, you could, like, yeah, you're a long way from home, hombre. Yes, thank you. I know. <laughs> yeah, th- uh, thanks for those questions. Thank you very much, James. That was that was delightful, and it helps us kind of center our our focus for this for this wrap up. Uh, Zane, do you have anything else to say about Rango? I think I'm I think I'm tapped out. You know, in in a lot of ways, I'm still not sure what to think about this movie. It's always difficult when your first watch through of a movie is one where you're stopping every five minutes to take notes. Um, yeah, but I I don't think that helped with the problems that it had. <laughs> No, I think it's got some some serious structural flaws. I think it I think it suffers from writing that is is trying to be a little bit too cute and a little too fourth wall breaking tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the writing is kind of where it ends as far as critical flaws with the movie. I, I think that they get, you know the casting is good. I think the aesthetic suits it very well, even sure. though it is maybe a hard sell. Um, mm-hmm. And you know the animation is great. Agreed. The animation and the music are both great. So, and the themes are to die for. I love the identity, the dual role of identity as like a a trick you play on yourself, and also a thing that means what you can accomplish. You know, when when you're working off of an established genre like a western, a lot of the tropes are already there, and so you have the time and the flexibility to inhabit a lot of different approaches to them. This was a really good approach for a western to take. Sure. The whole whole approaching the myth of the Western as its own kind of story. Like, focus on the myth aspect of it. Don't just focus on the fact that it's a Western and use the myth. <laughs> Talk about the myth straight up. Mm-hmm. And, and that in that capacity, I think it actually has a leg up on Five Goes West as kind of like a dissection of what the myth of the of the frontier really means. Yeah, this is not as much of a kid's movie. It is more of a Western um, I don't know if it's better or worse. If I Goes West was a musical, I can't imagine this is a musical. I, I think that this movie isn't a better Western. I think it is deeper. Mm-hmm. It is a deeper watch. Um, I, do, I do still enjoy Five Goes West better, but this is a deeper movie, and Johnny Depp does a great job. That's what I will. That's what I will say about Rango. Mm-hmm. It, it deserves the uh, it deserves the Academy Award. I'd say, especially going up against Cars Two. I think that's. <laughs> more or less a (laughs) no-brainer so uh thank you everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed it thank you james for writing it and for suggesting this movie and uh we hope you enjoy what is coming up next which is going to be static shock for our 150th episode we decided to take a long-running dc uh kind of thing uh, a a little loved dc superhero that inexplicably got a long-running series that ended up being great and i can't wait to revisit it and see what i think of it now yeah i i'm sure we will have a lot to talk about yep and zane what is after that uh after that we're gonna do the episode we we kind of meant to do today which is the doctor who power of the daleks episode schedule you understand we're all in quarantine the world's ending um (laughs) yes 
So that that's all. <laughs> you're, then, you're aware of all this, yes. And then uh, probably after that, we'll go back to your more standard run of the mill thing. You know, you know, like a like a Mike Lou and Og kind of well, well, <laughs> kind of level of work. Now. Yeah, like, yeah, we got to shit it up some more. Every so we often, we we do things that are too good or too high profile, and we got to really shit it up. I gave you Dino Trucks. You you give me Dino Trucks. <laughs> I I, uh, I bite my tongue. That is that is. I accurate. bite my tongue at you, sir. Yeah, that's pretty good. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to support us, go to our Facebook page to check out um, what episodes are coming up next, and uh, go to our Twitter at, at the Cartoncast to uh, do the same thing. You can go to our website Cartoncast.com or FancyBat at or FancyBat.com to check out the other shows on the network. Um, and you can get, go to our contact page there if you want to tell us either about a show you want us to review or if you have commentary on either uh, Mike Lewinog, uh Static Shock, or uh, Power of the Daleks, Doctor Who animated series. And, um, and write in and let us know if you think the Sandlot, Sandlot counts is as a Western. Western. <laughs> yeah, and, God, uh, the more I think about it, the harder it is for me to come down on one side or the other. It's it's a conundrum. Maybe that'll be our Cartoni Awards this year, just <laughs> discussing whether or Biggest not Biggest conundrum. Sandlot. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you want to go ahead and give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it. And more than anything else, please tell your friends about the show. Please do. Because like... The spirit of the West. We live on only in legends and survive only on hope. Follow your heart, kid, and you'll never go wrong. So long, partner. (laughs) Saddle up. (laughs) Saddle up, fly by night. We ride. (laughs) 